And we are on air for our Charlotte Rubble NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. This is Thursday, October the 5th on Fan for Racing Radio. And uh, Jay, welcome to the show as our co-host today. Well, thank you, Sharon. I know here in a minute you're going to run down our schedule for today, and that'll include talking about the schedule for next year. Finally came out. (laughs) Yes, it did. Okay. Um, Jay, you're not ready for today? (laughs) No, it it broke on me. I was going to say there was no audio because I was on hold, but I wasn't hearing you, and when I went to the board, I heard you saw you ask that, and I hit the button too quick, so I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <clears throat> yes, I neglected to hit my mute button, which is why no one could hear me at the very beginning. But we do have some short track news to go over here today. As far as uh, upcoming races for the weekend, there's quite a few. So uh, let's go ahead and start that. Uh, let's see here. We'll start with... Uh, the dirt races that are happening today, Jay. Speaking of the mute button, there we go. All right. Pull those up. Uh, today is the 6th, no, 5th. So we'll start Today's with dirt fifth. track for the 5th. Got a couple of them, a super dirt car series from Oswego Speedway. That'll be on Dirt Vision starting at 1.45 p.m. And then Tuscara 50 at the Port Royal Speedway will be on Flow Racing at 5 p.m. And the Short Track Nationals from Texarkana 67 Speedway, that'll be on Flow Racing with a time to be determined. So you'll have to check on there to see what time they're going to cover that. Okay, we'll go ahead and move over to Dirt and Short Track Racing on Friday. That's tomorrow. Uh, Starting with the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series at Port Royale Speedway at 615 on Dirt Vision. Then at 6.45 on Dirt Vision is the World of Outlaws Late Models from Brownstown Speedway. And uh, at 1.45 p.m., a little earlier, also on Dirt Vision, is the Super Dirt Car Series from Oswego Speedway. Uh, Also at Dirt Vision, the weekly racing at Jacksonville Speedway at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. Then we move over to Flow Racing. Flow Racing at 5.30 p.m. We'll have the King of Impacts, of Compacts, I'm sorry, at Florence Speedway at 5.30 p.m. Also, the Short Track Super Series from Aston Motorsports Park on Flow Racing. And the Fall Nationals, RPM Speedway at 6 p.m. Flow Racing. Also at 6 p.m. is at Bridgeport Speedway, the Street Stock Nationals. Then at 8 p.m., we've got uh, the Rojo Rumble Port City Raceway at Flow Racing. And at 8.45, also at Flow Racing, is the Fall National Silver Dollar Speedway race. And then to be determined is the Texarkana 67 Speedway Short Track National. Then we have Short Tracks. All right, what do we got for the short tracks? 
on the six, we got Napa Auto Parts Championship at Stafford Motor Speedway at 5.30 p.m. That'll be on Flow Racing. On Racing America, with the time to be, to be determined, is the Autumn Colors Classic Day Number 1 from Peterborough, Peterborough Speedway. And then also the Thompson Speedway World Series, and that'll be at Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park. And that'll also be covered on Racing America with a time to be determined. Okay, a lot of racing taking place on Saturday, October the 7th. I'll go halfway through the dirt race here. Uh, and then how about this? How about if I do the dirt vision on uh, the dirt races on October 7th, and then you do the flow racing events? All right. Okay, starting at 4.45 p.m., we have the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series at Port Royal Speedway at Dirt Vision. Then also uh, the World of Outlaws Late Models at Fairbury Speedway at 6.15 p.m. Earlier in the day at 1.45 p.m. is the Super Dirt Car Series at Oswego Speedway. At 5.30, we've got weekly racing at Millbridge Speedway. And at uh, 7.30 at Beaver Dam Raceway, it's also the weekly racing. And I believe that's it for Dirt Vision. And on flow racing, try and sort these by times. I mean, make sure I don't miss any, though. 5.30 p.m., it looks like, is their earliest broadcast. You'll have the King of Compacts, again, from Florence Speedway at 5.30 p.m. At 5.45, the Short Track Super Series from Aston Motorsports Park. Then at 6, 6 p.m., you can check out the Fall Nationals for RPM Speedway. At 6.05, that'll be the USAC Fall Nationals from Lawrenceburg Speedway. Then it looks like there's a jump. Oh, there's another one at 6 p.m. I missed. Street Stock Nationals from Bridgeport Speedway. Then we'll jump down to 8 p.m., the Port Royal, or Port Royal, Rojo Rumble at Port City Raceway. That's at 8 p.m. At 8.45 is the Fall Nationals from Silver Dollar Speedway. And the last one covered with a time on flow racing, the USAC WC Midgets from Kern County Raceway Park, 9 p.m. And then with a time to be determined, the finish of the Short Track Nationals from Texarkana 67 Speedway. And all that was the flow racing side of things. Okay, now we'll move over to the short track racing. Uh, I'll do the Racing America events, and you can do flow racing. Uh, Now, everything I'm going to talk about is at Racing America. We'll start at 6 p.m. with the Prolate Models and Outlaws at Nashville Fairground Speedway, 6 p.m. Also, 6.30 p.m. is the Sportsman Twin 25s. It's Citrus County Speedway. We've been looking forward to that one. That's where Patrick Staropoli is going to be racing. Uh, But not this week. Uh, Is it this weekend? Yeah, I think it is this weekend. Um, Then we've got uh, Racing America. I'm looking here. The Autumn Colors Classic Day 2 at Petersboro Speedway. That time is to be determined. And then also to be determined is the Thompson Speedway World Series at Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park. Well, Flow Racing's also got plenty of action as we got the Cars Tours 
from South Boston Speedway at 6.30 p.m. And the Smart Modified Tour at Tri-County Motor Speedway, that will be a time to be determined. Then it get towards the evening at 7 o'clock, you got the 500 Sprint Car Tour from Anderson Speedway. And the NASCAR Championship Night Number 2 at Langley Speedway at 7 p.m. as well. Then at 8.30, it's NASCAR Weekly Racing from Meridian Speedway. And those are the ones covered on Flow Racing. Okay. We only have one dirt race on uh, Sunday, October the 8th. That's the Super Dirt Car Series at Oswego Speedway at 12.30 p.m. on Dirt Vision. Then you can go ahead and cover the short tracks there, Jay. Well, we still got uh, some other racing, though. The NASCAR Wheeling Modified Tour and Thompson Speedway Motorsports. That'll be at 4 p.m. on Flow Racing. At 8.30 p.m., sorry, NASCAR U-Series from Charlotte Motor Speedway. That'd be a good one to watch. And then with the time to be determined on uh, Racing America, the Autumn Colors Classic Day Number 2, that's Peterborough Speedway, as well as the Thompson Speedway World Series from Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park. Those are on Racing America with times to be determined. And on Monday, October the 9th, we've got one dirt race that's listed. It's the Battle of the Thrones from South Georgia Motorsports Park at 10 a.m., and that will be on streamed live on Flow Racing. And that closes out uh, what we have for the short tracks. But uh, is there any news we need to make sure we uh, bring up here, Jay? Uh, not... I don't know that I saw any um, specific. I know we got a couple of events we're going to actually do a little more previewing on as they get closer when it comes to the uh, All-American 600 at Nashville. I know that one will be coming up. We generally get more information on that one as it gets closer. Yes, indeed. Uh, also, if you go to Flow Racing, they give you a list of all of their races that are coming up. Uh, today at 9 a.m., uh, they had the PDRA Drag Wars. That's still that's still race, uh, showing. Uh, today at 10 a.m., again, still showing, is the FL2 K23. And today at 8.30 a.m., you've got the Porsche Sprint Challenge at Indianapolis. Uh, October 1st. Oh, okay. That's all the time. (laughs) So that's just a few of the races that are taking place today. Well, and that's the great thing about slow racing. It's kind of, kind of like having Mav TV. You get on there, you can find racing of some sort in any uh, form or shape or fashion. I've seen boat racing on, on Mav TV. So slow racing, another one, you never know what you'll find on there to watch. Exactly, and we mentioned this earlier, uh, the Sprint Car Racing's biggest stars, I the 60K at Tuscarora 50. The stars of the Sprint Car Racing converge at Port Royal Speedway for the historic running of that Tuscarora 50 uh, today. So uh, that's one you don't want to miss. Also, Kenny Wallace is going to be racing the Cars Tour at South Boston. That's pretty cool. Uh, Any time you get to see uh, Kenny Wallace certainly is entertaining without a doubt. 
Okay, and they do have an entry list over at Flow Racing for the short track nationals that are taking place at Texarkana 67 Speedway. We mentioned those races, uh, and I believe you can catch the times here as well. Uh, but there are a lot of drivers that are listed on the entry list here. I was just uh, going through real quick to see if uh, I recognized any of these names from NASCAR or the Arca Menard series. Okay, so, again, you don't want to miss these uh, races. They're a lot of fun. Uh, let's go ahead and move over to our review preview for the Shore Lunch 200 presented by CGS Imaging. That is going to be the season finale for the Arkham and Art Series. They're racing at Toledo Speedway on Saturday, October the 7th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. It's going to be televised on Fox Sports 2 starting at 4 p.m. They'll be racing a distance of 200 laps. So, uh, actually, they'll be racing a distance of 100 miles over 200 laps. So this is going to be exciting, Jay. It is the Shore Lunch 200 presented by CGS Imaging is, as you mentioned, the 20th and final race of the 2023 Arkham and Ard Series season. It'll be the 150... 1,000. 1,553rd. Uh, yep, that's a big number. Uh, 1,553rd Arkham Menard Series race in series history and the 83rd time since 1963 that this series has hosted a race there at Toledo Speedway. Now, Sammy Smith won the most recent Arca race at Toledo, and that was in 22. A little before my time, but I always love history. It was Iggy Katona who won that first Arkham and Ard Series race at Toledo Speedway back in April of 1963. Now, this one's going to take me a little while. Frank Kimmel leads all drivers with eight Arkham and Ard Series wins at Toledo Speedway. Bobby Bowser has five. Bruce Gould, Ken Schrader, and Chris Buescher all have four. Iggy Katona, uh, Benny Parsons, Tom Bowser, Dave Dayton, Bob Strait, and Sam Mayer all have three wins there. Uh, and Jack Bowser, Les Snow, Moose Myers have two. Single race winners include Jim Cushman, Andy Hampton, Bobby Watson, Ramel Scott, Scott, Ron Hutcherson, Joy Fair, Woody Fisher, Larry LeMay, Howard Rose, Ed Hage, Scott Stovall, Bill Venturini, Bob Keselowski, Dave Weltmeyer, Blaze Alexander, Chuck Barnes Jr., Ken Butler III, Michael McDowell, Matt Carter, Justin Algauer, Parker Kligerman, Justin Lofton, Ty Dillon, Justin Boston, Todd Gilliland, Myatt Snyder, Harrison Burton, Zane Smith, Chandler Smith, Ty Gibbs, and Sammy Smith. Uh, that's a prestigious list of winners there. And there you have a history of the Arkham and Art series all in one section, no doubt. 
Now, when we talk about the turns, we're looking at Toledo Speedway, the turns are banked at 11 to 13 degrees. That's a little less than the 30 we saw last week, or 33 we saw last week. Yep, it is indeed. Uh, now, Jesse Love, he did clinch that 23 Arkham Series championship last week, but he has an unsurmountable 138-point lead over Andres Perez entering the Shore Lunch 200 presented by CGS Imaging. That's impressive. It is, and we saw this coming throughout the season um, that it was going to come down to this. But the number 20 owner, Billy Venturini, has a 14-point lead over the number 18 owner, Joe Gibbs, in the Arkham Menards Series Owner Point Championship standings as they head into the season finale. And we'll cover this a little further down, I think, but if Love finishes ninth or better, the 20 team will win the Arkham Menards Series Owner Championship as well. Okay. Love won the ASA Stars Tour uh, Super Late Model Glass City 200 at Toledo Speedway just last month. He looks to join local legend Joy Fair as the only drivers to win the Glass City 200 and the Arkham Art Series race at Toledo Speedway to become the first driver to do it in the same year. Just breaking all kinds of records. He is. Now, now, seven drivers have won the Arkham Menard Series races in 2023. Go back to start with uh, Greg Van Alst at Daytona, Tyler Reif at Phoenix, Jesse Love uh, picked up several, Talladega, Kansas, Charlotte, Elko, Pocono, Michigan, I think I'm halfway through the list, IRP, Watkins Glen, DeCoin, and Salem. Uh, William Solich picked up three, Berlin, Milwaukee, and Bristol. Then you had Tyler Ankrum win at Mid-Ohio. Luke Fenhouse did at Iowa. Brent Cruz picked up the win at Springfield. And Connor Mozak did so at Kansas. Yeah, if you think about it, Jesse Love has won 10 races in a 20-race schedule. That's incredible. Love leads drivers who have started every race in Average in an average finish at 4.16. William Sawalich, who has only started 11 of the 18 races, has a 3.83 average finish, and I think that should be 19 races because this will be the 20th race. Well, and these the stats here show why Love has that insurmountable points lead as he's led at least one lap in 16 of the season's 19 races. He's led a total of 1,234 laps, including all 200 laps at Salem Speedway. Sawalich is second with 439 laps led, and that was in his seven races. The Joe Gibbs Racing number 18 team has won the last two Arkham Menard Series races at Toledo Speedway, and that's with drivers Ty Gibbs and Sammy Smith behind the wheel. Uh, regular on fan for racing blog talk radio, Christian Rose. He's coming off a career best third place finish at Salem Speedway. He leads all drivers with 2,351 laps completed of the 2,424 possible uh, competition laps in 2023, which is a whopping 96.99% uh, completion. Pretty impressive. 
The track record for the most cautions in a 200-lap race is 18, set in May of 2008 for a record 114 laps. The record for the fewest cautions is three that was set in July of 2020 and matched in May of 2021. The record for the fewest laps under caution is 13 set in May of 21 as well. And Mason Mitchell holds the track qualifying record. That was set in May of 2014 at 15.682 seconds. That equates to 114.781 miles per hour. Chris Busher holds the 200-lap track record set in September of 2010 at 1 hour, 12 minutes, 54 seconds, representing 82.305 miles per hour. I think we've seen this come into play a couple times throughout the year, but I always like to remind fans, should the race need to be extended into overtime, they first have an unlimited attempt at a two-lap green-white checkered finish. But should the caution flag be displayed after the white flag comes out, there's an unlimited attempt at a one-lap green and white together finish. Okay. Now, next, we're going to kind of cover uh, the Owner Points Championship scenario. We mentioned it a little bit earlier, but if Jesse Love finishes ninth or better without earning any bonus points, the number 20 team will earn that Owner's Championship. Now, if he finishes 10th or better but scores the one bonus point for the GT pole or leads at least one lap, then the number 20 would win the owner's championship as well. Now, if Love finishes 11th or better and scores two bonus points for the general tire pole and leads one lap or no pole but leads the most laps, the number 20 team can also win the owner's championship. The other way he could do it is if he finishes 12th or better and scores three bonus points, and that is if he leads uh, or gets the GT pole and leads the most laps where he would get the two points. Okay. Now, should there be a tie, the number 20 team will win based on wins. <laughs> He's had 10 wins this season compared to four. For the now... Okay. Um the fewest points the number 20 team can score now um, based on the 18 cars entered is 1,038. So Wallach has to finish in the top six to have any chance for the number 18 team to win that owner's championship. Uh, so, wow, that's going to be exciting to watch. Uh, that kind of adds another dimension to the race. Well, you mentioned it there, and, and seeing uh, William Swalich uh, finishing the top six, I think there's a pretty good chance of that. But I don't see the chance of Jesse Love finishing worse than 13th and not picking up some of those bonus <laughs> points. So, um, yeah. But you never know what will happen. Exactly right. Now, we do have an entry list here. I It looks like it's, uh, let's see, two, four, six. 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, about 18 drivers. Do you think we can do it, Jay? 
I think so. We got five minutes here. Okay, go ahead. The 06, that'll be Nate Mueller in a Wayne Peterson Toyota, comes out of Lafayette, Ohio with Peterson Motorsports. Michael Peterson being the one calling the shots. Ryan Club is going to be on top of the pit box for Alex Club from Morris, Illinois, driving the number three club racing Ford. Uh, Alex Club, by the way, is uh, running for mayor of Morris, Illinois. That's an interesting note. Uh, Coming out of New York, Buffalo, New York, no surprise, Sobraro Pizza on the side of the number 73 Toyota for Kevin Lampier with Andy Jakowiak as the driver, Mike Dayton as the crew chief. Mike Shroop is going to be the crew chief for the Hillenburg Chevrolet, the number 66 driven by John Garrett from Athens, Texas, with Fort Worth screen printing on the side of his machine. The number 63 Chevrolet is a Paris Wixon-owned Mason Ludwig-driven Bellwire Speednut car. It comes from North Branch, Michigan, and he's got Jeff Spraker with him. Jeff Smith is on top of the pit box for Brad Smith behind the wheel of the familiar number 48. He hails from Shelby Township, Michigan with Copria.com on the side of his Chevrolet. And Tamayo Constantino Racing sponsoring the number 45 Ford. So we got a split there. Tony Constantino, the driver from Mansfield, Ohio, with Enrique Tamayo as the owner. And then Ethan Hutchins being the one to call the shots for the team. With the best-looking car on racing is uh, Christian Rose behind the wheel of the number 32. He hails from Martinsburg, West Virginia, with West Virginia Department of Tourism on the side of his Kevin Sawinski Ford. Ryan London is his crew chief. And if you're not from the Birmingham, Alabama area, you may not know where McCullough is, but it's right there, and that's where the number 31, Tim Goulet, Chevrolet comes from. He'll be calling the shots for Rita Goulet with backthelane.com as a sponsorship. Okay, and for Rhett Jones Racing, Mark Rhett will be on top of the pit box, but it's going to be Frankie Munoz behind the wheel of the number 30 uh, Ford this weekend. Of course, he hails from Scottsdale, Arizona. And Venturini has another car, at least in the... uh, race and that'll be the number 25 toyota of sean hingarani coming out of newport's Cal- newport beach california with gear wrench and as always kevin reed jr right there with him okay and jesse love uh the series uh t- champion uh is driving that familiar number 20 venturini toyota uh, he hails from Redwood City, California. He'll have JBL on the side of his car and Shannon Rush on the top of his pit box. And your 2023 Arkham e E-Series champion comes out of Eden Prairie, Minnesota. The number 18 is William Salalich in that Joe Gibbs Toyota with Matt Ross as the crew chief and got the Starkey Sound Gear. That one's a pretty cool paint scheme, too. Yes, it is. Okay, Caden Lapovich will be on top of the 
uh, pit box for the other Venturini Toyota. The number 15 is driven by Dylan Smith from Randolph, Vermont. He'll have Elliott's custom trailer parts on the side of his car. And this Michelle Hillenberg Toyota number 12 listed is Stephanie Moyer out of Shepton, Pennsylvania. Jeremy Petty as the crew chief and the women's boutique consignment at Ash Vanderlei listed as the sponsor. Okay, and another Hillenburg vehicle, the Ford this time, uh, is uh, Daryl Basham driving the number 11. He hails from Henryville, Indiana. He has Nick's Herrenberg on top of his box and Double H Ranch Empire State LLC on the side of his Ford. Another Hillenburg Ford is the number 10, and that's crew chief by Tim Monroe, and he's doing it for himself as he's also the driver. Comes out of Elmwood, Illinois with FastTrackRacing.com. And Jamie Jones on top of the pit box for the Max Siegel Chevrolet, driven by Andres Perez, the number two. He hails from Mexico City, Mexico, and, of course, he'll have Max Siegel Inc. on the side of his Chevrolet. think we cleared it by about 30 seconds. Yes, we did. Okay, next we're going to move to the um, big news of this week uh, was actually that the uh, schedule came out for all three of NASCAR's uh, series. And uh, Ben Kennedy met with the, um, what do you want to call it, the media. (laughs) Ben Kennedy, the senior Vice President of Racing Development and Strategy, uh, met with the media yesterday, and uh, we're going to listen to his overview of some of the changes uh, on the schedule, and maybe because uh, a lot of people were asking about uh, the Montreal race and why that didn't happen. He doesn't explain why it didn't happen, but he does explain why Iowa Speedway did happen. So let's go ahead and listen to that. Good evening, everyone. My name is Matt Norby with NASCAR Communications. Appreciate you joining us today to discuss the 2024 NASCAR National Series schedule. We're joined today by NASCAR senior Kennedy. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get started. Ben, I'll kick it off with you, and then we'll open up the, uh, the room to questions. But can you walk us through the highlights of the 24th schedule? We have, you know, another new venue, obviously, was announced yesterday with Iowa Speedway. But what are some of the other highlights uh, that, that you can sort of touch on before we get into questions? Great. Yeah, thank you, Matt. And first of all, um, welcome to everyone. Thank you um, not only for being here today, but for covering our sport um, throughout the year. Appreciate it. All that you guys do day in and day out. Uh, another exciting day. Um, I know we all have a, a lot of anticipation around schedule announcement today, uh, but exciting day as we announce the 2024 schedule and, you know, another great blend um, as we think about some of the new markets that we're going to be returning to, um, a new track that a lot of our fans have been asking for for a long time, um, and then a lot of historic racetracks that we get to celebrate as well. So, um, first and foremost, on the 2024 schedule, I think the most talked about one so far is Iowa Speedway. I had the opportunity to go one yesterday, and uh, meet with Governor Reynolds, Rusty Laws there, Brad Keselowski was there, and, uh, and make the announcement for the first time. And what will be our 76-year history, we'll be going to Iowa Speedway. So 
I'm really excited to be bringing our Cup Series there as well as the Xfinity Series and Arkham Menard Series. Um, it's been four years since we've had the chance um, to go to Iowa Speed, I guess five years next year um, with one of our national series. And I think it's going to put on a great racing product. Um, frankly, I think it's going to be a good blend between what we've seen um, on short tracks and intermediate style racing, which has been really strong with the next-gen car. Um, and it's something that our fans have been asking for for a long time. So I think it's going to look like an amazing crowd. I'm sure camping will be really strong there. It'll be a great way to kick off NBC's portion of the season. In addition to that, we've already made um, a handful of other announcements. They'll be returned to the Bushlight Clash at the Coliseum, which will be on Big Fox on February 4th. In addition to that, we're going to have our NASCAR Mexico Series joining us for the first time at that event. Um, so really excited to see um, the NASCAR Mexico Series joining us on Sunday, which I think is going to be a great addition um, and a lot of crossover between, um, you know, having some of our Mexico drivers come to Los Angeles uh, and be in the spotlight in downtown Los Angeles and a huge market for us. So it'd be great to um, unofficially kick off our season with an exhibition race at the Clash of the Coliseum. Returning to the Chicago Street Race um, for our second annual year. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we had some weather this year. I'm, I'm excited about what next year is going to look like. We had a lot of things, unfortunately, we weren't able to um, do this year as it relates to some of the concerts and other activities. Um, knock on wood, the weather will be um, a lot better and will look like it does outside today and be able to get some great racing in. So, um, obviously, a, a huge staple in Temple as you think about our 2023 schedule and be great to be back here in Chicago. And then on top of that, um, we'll be returning to North Wilkesboro for the All-Star Race, an iconic and historic racetrack. Atlanta will be um, moving to the second slot for its spring date after Daytona 500, and then we'll help kick off our playoffs uh, as the very first race um, once we go into the playoffs. And then you know, to the end, a little bit of a shake up in the playoff schedule. You know, now we've seen how the playoffs have, um, have um, you know, shaken out the past couple of years. We want to introduce a little bit of, of variety and innovation to it with introducing Atlanta to that very first race in the playoffs, Watkins Glen, right after it, um, Bristol night race in that round of 16 to help close us out, and then Kansas moving to the round of 12. And as you think about the round of 16 and round of 12 in particular, um, and the variability and diversity of the tracks, you know, we have some of the best drivers in the world, and to be able to see um, them on short tracks, um, intermediate tracks, super speedways, and road courses. Um, I can tell you as a fan, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and then last but not least, we'll be heading to um, Phoenix Raceway for our championship again as we crown all three of our National Series champions. Tremendous. Thanks for the overview, overview Ben. Uh, we'll now go to the media for questions. As a reminder, please use your hand-raising function within Zoom. And then when you're called upon, please state your name and your affiliation before asking your question. With that, we'll start with uh, Bob Pockers. Yeah, Ben, thanks for being on with us. Um, I'm curious. Uh, obviously, it seemed like that Iowa was a little bit late addition in the sense of that you couldn't get Montreal done. So I'm curious, A, if that's accurate, and then B, are you still in pursuit of Montreal? And if you do get that done for future years, what does that do with Iowa? Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Um, and enjoyed the, the 
tweeting or um, I guess exposing that we had going there um, for a little bit earlier today. Um, you know, but Iowa Speedway was something that we've talked about for quite a while. Um, you know, this is something that we've been hearing from our fans for a long time, um, and Iowa in particular, that we want to see a cup race there. So, unfortunately, had to take a bit of a hiatus um, over the past few years with COVID um, for their Xfinity Series and Truck Series, but felt like it was important for us to get back to Iowa Speedway. And then as we think about um, international venues in general, we still are bullish about um, finding our way either north of the border, um, whether that be in Montreal or Toronto or another market or south of the border, um, down into Mexico. You know, as we've mentioned in the past, we want to bring our NASCAR Cup Series there at some point. We think it's important for us um, to get outside of the United States um, with our series in some way, shape, or form. So that's something we're going to keep our pulse on as we think about 2025 and beyond. But, you know, as we've mentioned in the past, timing is always critical to a lot of these moves. We want to make sure that the market's ready for um, the NASCAR Cup Series as the timing makes sense for the industry and the sport. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to move in that direction at some point. Okay. Your thoughts, uh, Jay? I know we're going to talk about this uh, during our NASCAR Hot Topic segment uh, a little bit later as well. So uh, just give us a highlight. <clears throat> well, I think there are some great things happening, and that is what Ben Kennedy put the focus on. Uh, I know I read some uh, clips on this interview specifically, how he kind of avoided a particular question or answer, but there's really no point to that. And again, they are still working on things, so you don't want to burn any bridges. Um, for whatever reason, the Montreal deal did not happen. Uh, we don't know why. You know, he mentioned some of the things, but he also said that Iowa was a priority as well. So to get that back, and there again, I don't know uh, the validity of it, but it makes sense when you talk about COVID being a part of that reason. I know that the Midwest and Northern states dealt with that a little bit stronger and harder throughout. I don't know if it's still been over the four years, but during that time frame, uh, I know when it comes to certain things that they were a lot more uh, restrictive longer than anybody else in the country. So. Um, I hadn't really thought about that, so I do appreciate that coming into play and being brought to light, um, that there's other reasons we may not think of. The fact that we are going back is great. Like you said, whether international, that's still a priority. It just didn't happen this year um, for, for any events. We'll have to say what the future holds. The shakeup, uh, I like the shakeup, and I know, like you said, we're going to talk more about this when it comes to hot topics, so... Um, I like the shakeup. There's some things that I, I'm not sure I fully understand or agree with, but I put trust in them, and we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I can't tell you. I have so much admiration and respect for Ben Kennedy and what he's doing within NASCAR, and the schedule has been a big part of what he's done. Uh, and I am, I like, I'm like you. I might not understand always uh, exactly why things happen the way they happen, but I got to tell you, I trust uh, where Ben Kennedy is taking the sport uh, with their schedule, and I think uh, he is putting everything he can. I, I get a sense that he is a fan of this sport, and and I think that bodes well for us as fans of this sport. 
because he's going to be looking to accomplish some things that maybe we didn't even think about, uh, which we've already seen that happen. Uh, but he's he's also looking out for what he thinks is best for us as fans of the sport. And um, I'm just tickled to death about the, the schedule for next year. I love that Iowa Speedway is back. And uh, I uh, am definitely looking forward to the racing. I know some people uh, have some different thoughts about different uh, changes that have been on the schedule, and they're certainly entitled to their opinions. Uh, but I, I think it's all good, and I'm looking forward to the next season. Well, I think you hit on a key point there, and that has been Ben Kennedy and the position he's been and the way direction he's taken it. Uh, you know, we, and we've made this list before. Dirt on on an asphalt track at Bristol. The return to North Wilkesboro. <laughs> the Coliseum. I mean, so many things that three to five years ago you said, no, that'll never happen. The street course at Chicago been another big one. So yeah, they're definitely making some drastic changes. Some of them again, maybe the hiccups. The one thing I take away when we talked about Iowa, we've talked about Road America, and I'm sure uh, Brian, when he comes on later today, um, gets to jump in there again. We're looking kind of at a three-year window now. I know that they went through the five-year deals for track, but we're kind of looking at a three-year deal of even if it's good, move away from it, try something new so that when you bring it back or you return, it's still the excitement level and the uniqueness of it or newness of it hasn't faded away. So I think that's a huge part of why they're looking at changing the schedule as much as they do over year to year. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's fantastic. And uh, like I said, I, I just am really, I think you're right about the three way, uh, three year window. Uh, I think that's definitely the direction they seem to be taking and uh, I'm all for it. I, I just think it's all been great. I think five years was probably too long of a window uh, for some of these venues, but three years seems to be just about right. Uh, I am excited as a skeptic of the Chicago street race. I'm very excited to see it coming back. So uh, they generated a huge amount of revenue. I think I saw $108 million uh, revenue generated for the city of Chicago. So uh, that's not too shabby. And uh, I'm glad to see that they're coming back. Okay, I am going to move on to the um, truck series. They are not racing this week. And I know I'm just a little bit early, but I'm trying to kind of gather a few extra minutes here for our cup series review or preview that always seems to take so long. Um, the truck series, again, they're not racing this weekend, but they will be racing. Their elimination race is coming up at Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, the Baptist Health 200, that'll be Saturday, October the 21st, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. We'll give you all the details next week. Jay and I are also going to give you the Reader's Digest version of the updates uh, here, and we'll probably uh, skip uh, the playoff driver rundown as well as the uh, clinch scenarios, uh, but we will give you some updates here. Well, the series may not be running, but some of the drivers are. We've got two Craftsman Truck Series competitors that hope to compete at the Roval. Uh, fans will be able to catch two of those Craftsman Truck Series regulars attempting to compete in the NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series 
at Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course this weekend. Raja Karuth plans to pilot the number 44 Alpha Prime Racing Chevrolet. That uh, team will come into play in Hot Topics. little spoiler coming. That'll be Saturday uh, during the Xfinity Series race, the drive for the Cure 250 presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield in North Carolina. And also, NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series playoff contender Zane Smith, he'll once again be behind the wheel of the number 38 front row motorsports Ford on Sunday for the Bank of America Roval 400. Good deal. Now, the playoff bet, the bubble, and the Clint scenarios, we're going to be covering that in next week's preview for Homestead. So we're going to skip that today, and I'm going to go right to what happened at the last race. And that's Brett Moffat making the Craftman Truck Series return, uh, a return to remember, in, as a matter of fact. In typical fashion, it was a dramatic day at Talladega Super Speedway's high banks. But Brett Moffitt made the truck series a, a return to remember. In the Love Truck Stop, in the Love Stop RV 250, the 2018 Truck Series champion and first Truck Series race since September 9th of 2022. Uh, that race actually ended in a DNF uh, because of an engine issue, but this one ended with a victory. The day didn't exactly start off to plan, though, for Moffitt. In qualifying earlier that morning, he struggled to find the speed that he had to start the 30, from 31st in the field. None of that mattered, though, because he found his way uh, back to the front, and during an overtime restart, the Grimes, Iowa native pulled off a thrilling three-wide move to the front and was able to hold off our Truck Series champion Ben Rhodes Chandler Smith and Parker Kligerman to secure his 13th career win in his 93 Craftsman Truck Series races. Moffat's win broke a streak of four straight first-time winners at Talladega Super Speedway and improves the non-playoff driver winning streak to eight straight races. As for the playoff contenders, uh, Talladega packed a punch, and the cut line is sitting tight as the field prepares for Homestead, Miami. Uh, and you've got uh, Ben Rhodes in second, Corey Hyman fifth, Sanchez seventh, Hosmer is eleventh, Infinger thirteenth, Eckes is nineteenth, Majeski finished third, twenty-first, and Chandler and Smith uh, ended up finishing in thirty-second. So. Those are the playoff drivers and how they finished at uh, Talladega. Uh, they've got some uh, climbing to do as they come into uh, Homestead, Miami next weekend. And not to go too deep into a preview, but we'll give you a little bit of information about Homestead, Miami, and the Baptist Health 200, which is a playoffs round of eight finale. Uh, four drivers will be eliminated, and the championship four will once again be named uh, once the champion or once the checkered flag falls. Now, go back in history. The Homestead Miami Speedway was built as a key part of plans to help keep the city of Homestead uh, rebound after the devastation caused by Hurricane Andrew. Groundbreaking was on August 24, 1993, exactly one year after the hurricane hit. And the track uh, opened in November of 1995. 
The 1.5-mile oval has hosted 26 Craftsman Truck Series races since its inaugural event on March 17th in 1996. And that race was won by Dave Resendiz, piloting the number seven Jeffrey Bodine Motorsports Ford. Uh, that one I remember. That one's, that one's within my realm of history. I remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> now, notably, there's been 23 different race winners. Imagine this. Kyle Busch leads the series with three wins at the track while playoff driver Ty Majewski is the most recent winner in 2022. In the 2023 season, marks the second time the Speedway has hosted that round of eight finale in the playoffs uh, in 2022 and 23. It was home to the championship race from 2016 to 2019. That was a four-year gap um, before landing its spot on the regular season schedule in the 2021 and 20, or 2020 and 21 schedules. Okay, uh, so now we're going to go ahead and move over to the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and uh, they are racing this weekend. The drive for the Cure 250, presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course, fondly called the Roval. That'll be Saturday, October the seventh at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, coverage will be on NBC, PRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 155.44 miles over 67 laps. First two stages are 20 laps each, stage one ending on lap 20, stage two on lap 40, and the final stage will be 27 laps, and that will end on lap 67. Well, when we're talking about the Xfinity Series, the Smith Battle continues, and that is also known as the Sunoco Rookie of the Year Battle. Uh, the 2023 rookie contenders are starting to wind down on their first full-time season in the series, and you got College Racing's Chandler Smith and Joe Gibbs Racing Sammy Smith. Both secured their spot in the 2023 playoffs with their respective wins. Uh, Chandler picked up a victory at Richmond, while Sammy picked one up at Phoenix earlier in the year. Uh, Chandler Smith leads the pack with 2,086 points, with Sammy Smith close behind at second with 2,076, only 10-point difference. Uh, Jordan Anderson Racing's Parker Retzlaff slid into third with 540 points, and Blaine Perkins closes out the competition with 212 to go down to those two because those are the only two to advance in the playoffs. Okay. Now, in this case, we are going to look at the drivers, the playoff drivers that encompass the round of 12 drivers for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They all have one more shot to keep their playoff run going before heading into the next round of the playoffs. Uh, start at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. So uh, let's look at what these drivers have done at Charlotte Motor Speedway in the past. Jay, you want to go two by two from the bottom? You want me to start? Did you want me to start start. it, Sharon? Okay, go ahead. Well, I'll I'll go ahead and start it. Sam Mayer in the final playoff spot is 34 points above the cut line. Uh, and Jay, Junior Motorsports uh, Mayor has made three starts at the Charlotte Rover where he's posted one top-ten finish. Above him is Josh Berry. He's 20, 
seven points under the cut line. And Barry also has made just one start at the Charlotte Road Course, posting an eighth-place finish. And we slide up to the tenth spot, and that's where we find Jeb Burton. Now, Burton has made two starts at the Charlotte Roval. He posted a best finish, the 13th, in 2021. And then Parker Kligerman is one point below the round of eight cut line, as he'll be looking to punch his ticket into the next round this weekend, but he'll be making his series debut on this road course this weekend. Okay, our next two drivers, Daniel Hemrick uh, and Sheldon Creed. Daniel Hemrick uh, is currently in the round of eight transfer spot on points. He heads to Charlotte with four starts in the books uh, on the Roval with two top five and three top 10 finishes. Sheldon Creed is seventh in the standings, and he's made only one start at the Charlotte Roval, where he placed 16th in the finish. And those rookies that talked about right together, Sammy Smith, he's sliding into the sixth playoff spot, and we'd be making his series debut on the Charlotte Road Course this weekend. Whereas Chandler Smith, He's currently fifth and leader of the Snoko Rookie of the Year class for 2023. Also, though, making his series debut on the road course as a rookie. Okay, next up are a couple of my favorites. I have a lot of favorites in the Xfinity Series. But Austin Hill currently sits fourth in the standings. Hill's made three starts at the road course under his belt. He's posted a best finish of 18th in 2021. Uh, That's amazing. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed that for Austin Hill. Uh, Cole Custer, currently third in the playoff standings, has made two starts at the Charlotte Roval. He posted top ten finishes in both of those races. Another one of my favorites coming up. Yeah, I was going to say, add to the list, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> Justin Allgaier. Uh, he's a more seasoned driver on the Charlotte Road course. Keep in mind, this is relatively new. He's made five starts posting the two top fives and three top ten finishes. And then the top seed right now, John Hunter Nemechek. And he's clinched into the round of eight with his win at Texas Speedway. He heads into the Charlotte Roval with just one start on his resume, but it was a seventh-place finish. Okay, Jay, why don't you go ahead and get into the clinch scenarios here as well. All right, going into that Charlotte Roval, three drivers have already clinched their spot into the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs round of eight, which will kick off at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. you got John Hunter, or sorry, Justin Alger and John Hunter Nemechek with their respective wins, and then Cole Custer is locked in already by virtue of points, and we can only have one more winner. So with that only one last shot to race their way in, uh, we'll look at the rest of the field and where they'll need to perform to make sure their names are listed in the five remaining playoff spots. First scenario is if there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the round of eight, drivers could be ahead of the seventh winless driver in the standings. And those same requirements would be true if a new win comes from among Cole Custer, Austin Hill, Chandler Smith, Sammy Smith, or Sheldon Creed. Austin Hill's in a good spot. He'll clinch with only 11 points. Chandler Smith needs 23 points, whereas Sammy Smith would need 37. Sheldon Creed, he's looking at a big gap with 46. 
Daniel Hemrick even more with 54, and then Parker Kligerman right on the edge of max points of 65. Jeb Burton, Josh Beer, and Sam Mirror can only clinch with help. Now, if uh, Daniel Hemrick wins, that bumps the points a little bit. Austin Hill would need 12, Chandler Smith 24, Sammy Smith 38, Sheldon Creed 47, and then you got to put Parker Quiggerman on that list with Burton, Barry, and Mayer as drivers needing help. Now, if the new winner is from Parker Kligerman or another winless driver lower in the standings but eligible to advance to the next round, uh, then you would have to be ahead of the sixth winless driver in the standings. That bumps Hill's uh, points to 13 needed to clinch, Chandler Smith 25, Sammy 39, Sheldon Creed at 48, and that would put Daniel Hemrick, if he's not the winner, as needing help along with Kligerman, Burton, Barry, and Mayer. Now, any of those drivers I mentioned all throughout this section, you win and you advance. They're all still eligible um, to advance on the win. Yes, indeed. Next, we'll look at the playoff bubble shuffle. Uh, right now, we're talking about Kligerman, Burton, Barry, and Mayer are all under the cut line. After that second race in the round of 12 at Texas Motor Speedway, John Hunter Nemechek, by virtue of his win, and Cole Custer, by virtue of points, are already clinched into the round of eight. Justin Alskauer secured his spot with his win at Bristol Motor Speedway. As the series heads now to the Charlotte Road Course, uh, Austin Hill is 44 points above that cut line. Then it's uh, Chandler Smith at 32 points up. Sammy Smith, 18 points up, and Sheldon Creed at nine points up. Daniel Hemrick has a very slim lead, just one point up over the cut line. Uh, Hold the remaining uh, playoff spots right now, but a lot can change, especially based on racing at the Roval. One point below the cut line is big machine racing Parker Kligerman, who is in his first Xfinity Series playoff appearance. Jordan Anderson Racing's Jeb Burton, who is 19 points below the cut line. He'll be fighting to clinch his way in as he was knocked out in the round of 12 in his only other playoff appearance in 2021. Junior Motorsports driver Josh Berry made it all the way to the championship four round in his debut in the playoffs last year. He sits 27 points back of the cut line, while JRM's uh, junior motorsports teammate Sam Mayer is 34 points back, and they'll be pushing to make the round of eight for the second time in his career. Both drivers are looking to join their junior motorsports teammate, Justin Aldauer, into that next round of the playoff. Wouldn't that be something if they're able to, well, I I think only one of them is going to be able to do it. But, uh, yeah, it would would be uh, really amazing if both of them did make it into the playoffs um, based on a little bit of help, either – uh, not so good finishes from the uh, some drivers and uh, outstanding finishes for themselves. Well, and it could happen at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course, known as the Roval, because it is elimination time. 
And so the stakes are high for the Xfinity Series playoff contenders as they head into that Roval for the drive for the Cure 250 presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. And it is the first elimination race of the playoff season for them. So this weekend's race will be the sixth time the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course has hosted the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoff race starting back in 2018 and running through 2023. The Charlotte road course has occupied two different spots on the postseason schedule. In 2018 and 19, the Charlotte Roval hosted the second race in the round of 12. Then from 2020 to 2023 now, the 2.32-mile road course has hosted the round of 12, excuse me, round of 12 elimination race, which is the third race of the playoffs. There have only been five races on the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course. The inaugural race, September 29, 2018, was won by Chase Briscoe, but it's A.J. Aubeninger, who is a popular name at the track, being the only other victor on the road course as he won from 2019 to 2022. Now, although we won't have a previous winner in the field at Charlotte Roval, there's one playoff contender who is no stranger to winning the round of 12 elimination race. That's Cole Custer uh, from 2019. Back then, the round of 12 elimination race, the 29th race of the season, was held at Dover Motor Speedway. In that season, Custer made his way to the championship four, ultimately finishing second. Just looking at that round of 12 elimination race winners, going back to 2016, it was Joey Logano, and it was held at Charlotte at that time on the uh, oval track. Then in 2017, it was Alex Bowman. In 2020 or 2018, sorry, it was Christopher Bell. And that was when it was at Dover. Cole Custer also in 2019 at Dover. And then when it moved to the Charlotte Roval, and I mentioned it, A.J. Allmendinger listed three times in a row picking up that victory. And with both Briscoe and Allmendinger competing in the NASCAR Cup Series, the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course will see a new winner in victory lane this weekend. There's a chance to be the first in the field to take the checkered flag at the 2.32-mile road course. Drivers will be sure to be all gas and no brakes, and that'll start with practice. Saturday, September 7th, that'll be at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, followed by qualifying at 10.30 Eastern Time, and that'll be covered on the NBC Sports app. Yep, I'm I'm super excited about the racing this weekend. This is an elimination race, I believe, for the Xfinity Series as well as uh, the Cup Series. Is that true? Uh, yes, they, both think... of them are. And it, with the Xfinity Series, it's it's their first one. They'll go from the, from twelve down to eight, whereas the Cup Series are already eliminated for. They're also going to go from 12 to 8, but they've already had one round of elimination. Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be an intense weekend of racing, for sure. Okay, next up we've got the NASCAR Cup Series uh, racing at the Bank of America Roval 400 at Charlotte Motor Speedway's Roval. That's Sunday, October the 8th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with coverage on NBC, PRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 252.88 miles over 109 laps. 
First two stages are 25 laps apiece, stage one inning on lap 25, stage two on lap 50, and the last stage is 59 laps ending on lap 109. I'm going to hit on some milestones. Let's talk about history. Uh, some that can be made here this year as a Cup Series milestones to watch. There are none of them at the Roval this weekend, but coming up, Daniel Suarez will have his 250th Cup start at Martinsville Speedway on the 29th of October, as well as Ryan Priest, his would be 150 career Cup Series starts. Also on there, a low number, but he's a rookie, that Ty Gibbs would have his 50th Cup Series start at Martinsville. Then when we get to Phoenix to wrap up the season, Denny Hamlin would make his 650th Cup Series start, whereas Ricky Stenhouse Jr. would hit 400. Um, driver wins of 10 or more, always got to talk about Kyle Busch. He leads all active drivers in career wins at 63, followed by Kevin Harvick at 60, Denny Hamlin 51, Brad Keselowski 35, Martin Truex Jr. is 34, Joey Logano 32, Kyle Larson 22, Chase Elliott 18, and William Byron now in that category of 10 or more. And look at organization wins. Uh, Wood Brothers looking for a very big landmark. They're on the cusp of the milestone victory in the Cup Series, looking for their 100th NASCAR Cup Series win this weekend. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports, they lead all active NASCAR Cup Series organizations, though, in the series with 300 wins, uh, followed by Joe Gibbs at 207, RFK Racing at 141, Team Penske has 138, Richard Childress is at 116, mentioned the Wood Brothers at 99, Stuart Haas Racing has 69, then we get down to Trackhouse Racing, five, along with 2311 Racing already with five. Front Row Motorsports has four, JTG Daughtery has two, Collard Racing and Spire Motorsports each have one. The manufacturers, they're looking for uh, some big numbers as well as we close in on Win number 850 for Chevrolet is they're, they're sitting at 848 right now, which is most all-time in the Cup Series. Ford is second most with 727, and Toyota fifth with 179. Those are the current three current active manufacturers. In between there, you got Dodge in fourth at 217. I'm sorry, third 217 and then Plymouth at 191. I know, Sharon, this plays into your favorites of car number anyway. The number 99, (laughs) that car's next win, will be the 50th in Cup Series history. Yeah, I watched the 99 for a number of years with Jeff Burton behind the wheel. All right. Uh, Big announcement today. iRacing acquires NASCAR team properties exclusive simulation-style console racing game license. Uh, NASCAR iRacing and Motorsport Games all announced uh, this week that iRacing has acquired the NASCAR team properties exclusive 
simulation style console racing games license from Motorsports Games. The sale approved by NTP, uh, the NASCAR team properties, will see the license transfer from 704 Games, a wholly owned subsidiary of Motorsports Games, to iRacing, which will begin developing a NASCAR console game expected to be released in 2025. The acquisition expands iRacing's decade-plus presence in NASCAR. iRacing began its relationship with NASCAR in 2010 with a licensed sim racing product and has grown into a key technical partner of the sanctioning body as its official simulation partner. iRacing runs dozens of NASCAR official series on iRacing and thousands of people participating daily from late models to cup cars, including a 100,000 to win e-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series and the e-NASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational series during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the Massachusetts-based company Simulation and Engineering Abilities have helped NASCAR develop new cars and tracks, including the next-gen car, the Bush Light Clash at the Coliseum, the Chicago Street Race, among others. Now, iRacing can extend its expertise broadly to include NASCAR team properties. Uh, I think this is going to be huge. We've seen iRacing uh, expand uh, tremendously under the NASCAR banner, and this is just the next step. So, or Jay. <laughs> well, and it, you hit on some highlights there. The impact it's had when it comes to the Coliseum, uh, the Chicago street, ro- uh, street course race, I don't know if it did the Bristol dirt race or not, but those two definitely it had an impact on. So definitely a great tool to be used. Yes, indeed. Now, coming up for the Roval, we got WWE's Liv Morgan named the Grand Marshal, whereas Kurt Busch is named the Honorary Starter. And WWE superstar Liv Morgan will be the Grand Marshal for Sunday's Bank of America Roval at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course. And two-time Charlotte winner Kurt Busch is listed as the Honorary Starter. Liv Morgan of the New York Post's 2022 Female Breakout Wrestler of the Year is no stranger to the big stage, have already earned a WWE SmackDown's Women's Championship and two Women's Tag Team Championships in her WWE career. On Sunday, she'll give that command for the engines before drivers take to the Roval. Looking at Kurt Busch, among his 34 career Cup Series wins, Busch took the checkered flag at both the NASCAR All-Star Race and the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte in 2010. He still holds the record for the fastest qualifying lap ever at the track, which is 27.167 seconds or 198.771 miles per hour. And that was on the oval configuration. Now, while he announced his retirement from the Cup Series racing earlier this year, Bush will take part as a at the start, will take the start of Sunday's 109-lap Bank of America Roval 400 from the flag stand as that honorary starter. Some other dignitaries, though, for the weekend for the Bank of America Roval 400. The presentation of colors will be the Burlington Fire Department Honor Guard, 
Invocation for and national anthem will be Matthew West, who's a five-time Grammy nominee. Some dignitaries for Saturday's Drive for the Cure 250, presented by Blue Cross and Blue Shield in North Carolina. The honorary starter will be June Magnum of the Blue Cross North Carolina and a 20-year breast cancer survivor. Grand Marshals will be Patricia Bridgewood, who's a six-year breast cancer survivor, and Destiny Medlin, who's been a four-year survivor. Presentation of colors, that'll be the 11th Civil Air Patrol. The invocation will be by Reverend Dr. Major Stewart of Mount Sinai Baptist Church. And the national anthem will be sung by Cassandra Kluwer. Now, in addition, the multi-platinum country music superstar Riley Green will open Sunday's festivities with a pre-race infield performance that'll be guaranteed to get fans revved up before the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs elimination race. Okay, let's talk about some of the kings of the road, former Cup Series road course winners to watch this weekend. Uh, now, the Cup Series drivers are going to be challenged by all the twists and the turns of the multi-elevational roval road course at Charlotte Motor Speedway this weekend. Uh, and uh, several drivers are still looking for their first win of this season, including Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott, who leads all active drivers in road course wins with seven victories. Elliott is already considered one of the early favorites for this weekend, but keep an eye on three of the most recent winners on road courses in the series. That includes Martin Truex Jr., who won at Sonoma, Michael McDowell, at Indianapolis, and William Byron took the Watkins Glen victory. All three are most certainly to be in the mix as well this weekend. Uh, There are 15 former road course winners that are entered in this Sunday's race at Charlotte. Uh, We've mentioned Chase Elliott uh, with seven, Martin Truex with five. Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson have four wins on road courses, Tyler Reddick with three, Kevin Harvick, Almondinger, Christopher Bell all have two road course wins, Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin, Daniel Suarez, Ross Chastain, Michael McDowell, and William Byron all have one road course win. So I think all of those drivers are going to be drivers to watch this weekend. We might need to do this next one together, Jay. All right. Uh, I'll start with 2014 here when we talk about it not being over yet. We do have an elimination race, but drivers that have raced their way into that round of eight since the introduction of this elimination-style format of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs going back to 2014, Several drivers have raced their way into that round of eight in this sixth and final cutoff race for the round of 12. Starting with 2014, at that time it was headed to Talladega, which was the sixth race of the playoffs. Matt Kenseth was ranked ninth in the playoff standings, one point back from the round of eight cut line, and Brad Keselowski was ranked 10th, 19 points behind the cutoff. Brad Keselowski won the race at Talladega, automatically advanced to the next round. Matt Kenseth finished second behind him and advanced on points, knocking Casey Kane, who was in 12th, or finished 12th at Talladega, and then Kyle Busch, who had a 40th place finish, bounced those two out of the playoffs. So heading into the elimination race, 
Kyle Busch was second in the standings, 26 points above the cut line. Kane was eighth and just one point up. Okay. In 2015, heading to Talladega, also the sixth race in the playoffs, Kyle Busch was ranked ninth in the standings, just six points back from the round of eight cutoff. He finished 11th at Talladega and advanced in on points, knocking his Joe Gibbs Racing teammate, Denny Hamlin, who had a 37th place finish at Talladega due to an incident. He knocked him out of the playoffs. Heading into the elimination race, Denny Hamlin was second in the playoff standings. He was 18 points above the round of eight cutoff. So that was a big uh, elimination there. Well, in 2016, there was redemption. Still looking at Talladega as that sixth race. Denny Hamlin's was ranked 10th in the playoff standings, six points back from the round of eight cut line. Hamlin went on to finish third and advanced on points, knocking out a different teammate in Martin Truex Jr., who had a 40th place finish due to an engine failure. Heading into that race, Truex was sixth in the playoff standings and 13 points to the good. In 2017, They headed to Kansas for the sixth race of the playoffs. Kyle Busch was ranked ninth in the standing, seven points back from the cut line for the round of eight. Busch went on to finish 10th and advanced in on points. He knocked out Kyle Larson, who had a 39th place finish at Kansas uh, because of an engine failure, and he was out of the playoffs. Heading into the elimination race, Kyle Larson was third in the playoffs standings. He was 29 points above that round of eight cutoff. In 2018 at Kansas, it was the four drivers below the round of eight cut line that uh, did not advance. Brad Keselowski was one point back, Ryan Blaney minus five, Kyle Larson 19 down, and Alex Bowman 51, as all of those have failed to advance and eliminated from the playoffs. At that race, Larson finished third, Keselowski sixth, Blaney seventh, and Bowman ninth. It just wasn't enough about points above their competition. All right. Now we'll head into 2019. Kansas was that sixth race in the playoffs that year. Chase Elliott was ranked 10 points back from the round of eight cutoff. Elliott went on to finish second at Kansas, and that advanced him in on points. He knocked out Brad Keselowski, who had a 19th-place finish, and it knocked him out of the playoffs. Heading into the elimination race, Keselowski was fifth in the playoff standings. He was nine points above that round of eight cutoff. And in 2020, that's where we start our history of the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course. Kurt Busch was ranked 10th in the playoff standings, five points back from the cut line. Busch went on to finish fourth in the Charlotte Road Course and advanced on points as he knocked out Austin Dillon, who had a 19th place finish. Heading into that race, Dillon was eighth in the standings, tied with Kyle Busch at ninth on points uh, at 3,053. But Kurt came along and wiped him out. All right. In 2021, four drivers were below that round of eight cut line heading into the sixth race uh, at Charlotte Motor Speedway's Roval. Kevin Harvick, nine points back from the cutoff. Christopher Bell, 28 points back. William Byron, 44. And Alex Bowman, 52. 
two points back. They all failed to advance into the round of eight and were eliminated from the playoffs following that Roval race at Charlotte. Harvick finished 33rd, Bell finished 8th, Byron 11th, and Bowman finished in 10th. Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch were tied in points for the final two spots in the round of eight heading into Charlotte. Both held on and advanced. And last year, 2022, it was uh, heading into Charlotte. William Byron was one ranked in 10th in the playoff standings, 11 points back from the cut line. And Christopher Bell was in 11, 33 points back in a must-win situation. And Bell would do it, going on to win the race there at the, the Roval to advance to the round of eight. Byron finished the event in 16th and advanced on points. And that would knock out Kyle Larson, who finished 35th, and Daniel Suarez, who finished 36. Now, heading into that elimination race, Larson was sixth in the playoff standings and 18 points to the good, and Suarez was ranked seventh, 12 points up on the cut line. So as we can see, anything can happen in this race, especially with it being the Roval. Absolutely. Now, the Cup Series playoff doesn't at the Charlotte Roval uh, the playoff elimination races amp up with intensity, and this weekend at the Roval is no different. Uh, I'm going to take a quick look at the round of 12 drivers and some of their peaks and valleys here. Uh, William Byron is the only driver who has a pole at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Christopher Bell and Ryan Blaney, along with Kyle Larson, all have wins. Uh, with top five finishes, we're looking at uh, uh, a little bit more here. Uh, Ryan Blaney has two, along with Kyle Busch. Drivers that have one top five there are Denny Hamlin, Christopher Bell, Kyle Larson, Brad Keselowski, Tyler Reddick. Uh, with top tens, we have uh, several with two, but there's one driver with four, and that's Ryan Blaney. Those with two are William Byron, Christopher Bell, Chris Busher, Martin Truex Jr., Tyler Reddick, and Kyle Busch. Uh, drivers with one include Denny Hamlin, Kyle Larson, and Brad Keselowski, along with Bubba Wallace. With DNFs, uh, one driver has two, and surprisingly, that's Kyle Busch. Uh, William Byron has one, Brad Keselowski with one, and Bubba Wallace with one. Drivers with uh, the highest average finish at uh, the Roval include Ryan Blaney at 9.8, but even better is Tyler Reddick at 7.3. Those drivers with the lowest average finish, Ross Chastain at 26.5, I think is the lowest. Uh, we've got a couple other drivers in the 20s. That includes Bubba Wallace at 20.4 and Kyle Busch at 21.2. Uh, the highest driver rating at the Roval, uh, William Byron is listed at 106.3, Tyler Reddick at 103.6, and Kyle Larson at 100.4. Those with the lowest driver rating include Ross Chastain at 47.0, and let's see, the next lowest would be Bubba Wallace at 56.9. So some interesting stats there for the playoff uh, drivers uh, going into this race, but it's crunch time for four drivers. 
That's right. We talked about those that could advance uh, from below the line, and that would include the four drivers facing elimination this weekend. Tyler Reddick is two points back. Ross Chastain, minus nine. Bubba Wallace, minus 10. And unfortunately, Kyle Busch at minus 26. And it all comes down to Sunday's 109 scheduled laps around the Roval. Now, the playoff contenders oh, okay. below that line will have to shoot. Sorry. What you got? I said sorry. Oh, okay. Um, they'll have to showcase their best road racing skills this weekend on the specialized road course that is anything but forgiving if they want to advance in the postseason. As you mentioned, it's behind a wild Talladega super speedway race last weekend. Team Penske's Ryan Blaney joined William Byron with the Texas win as the two drivers locked into the round of eight. RFK Racing's Brad Kozlowski resides in that eighth and final transfer spot on points. And mentioned the four that are sitting outside um, that are the ones facing elimination, but going up above them. Kyle Larson is only the two points to the good. I'm sorry, Brad Keselowski is the one two points to the good. Kyle Larson only 15 points to the good. Martin Truex in six is 17 up. And Chris Busher at 19 up. And then Christopher Bell at plus 22. And we saw some of those points gaps, even that amount, overpassed in the years prior. So going to have to watch out for that. Okay, looking at the clinch scenarios for this weekend, and this will have to be it for today. Um, the following two drivers have clinched their spot into the next round. Of course, that's William Byron and Ryan Blaney with their wins. Uh, if there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver that cannot advance to the next round, uh, the other drivers, these drivers can clinch by being the seventh ahead of the seventh winless driver in the standings. The same would hold true if a new win comes from among Denny Hamlin, Bell, Busher, Truex, or Larson. Denny Hamlin needs five points, Christopher Bell, 33, Chris Busher, 36, Martin Truex needs 38 points, Kyle Larson needs 40, Brad Keselowski, 53, Tyler Reddick needs 55 points. Chastain, Wallace, and Kyle Busch all need help. Uh, these drivers can clinch on points if there's a win by Brad Keselowski. Uh, Denny Hamlin needs six, Bell 34, Busher 37, Martin Truex needs 39 points, Kyle Larson 41. Uh, Ruddick, Chastain, Wallace, and Bush would all clinch with only help. Uh, if there's a new driver from among Tyler Ruddick or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, these drivers can clinch by being ahead of the sixth winless driver in the standings. Denny Hamlin only needs eight points, but Christopher Bell needs 36, Busher 39, Truex needs 41, Kyle Larson needs 43. Keselowski, Reddick, Chastain, and Wallace all need, uh, along with Kyle Busch, all need help. Of course, all of the playoff drivers can clinch with a win alone. So uh, we've got a lot to look forward to with the races coming up this weekend. Uh, and we tried to get it all in, but there was just too much, Jay. <laughs> well, and and there is so much. Talked about. 
Yeah, and there's so much there. Just going down to you've been talking about the clinch scenarios. I am so excited. Is Demi Hamlin uh, the only one that's in a real good position with the 50 points? When you talked about clinch, he only needed the minimal points, four and five points. Um, everybody yeah. else needs a good 30 or more, which tells me that's how tight it is. And I think we are going to see um, at least one driver from below the cut line advance. It would be really tough to see, too, with Denny Hamlin only needing so few points to clinch. But we've seen it happen. As we illustrated in our previous segment. So, yeah, this is this is going to be exciting. Two elimination races with the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series this weekend on the Charlotte Roval. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, four drivers are going to be left out in both of those series. So uh, we'll have to see how it all plays out. But we're at the top of the hour, and that means it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off segment And joining us for that discussion is uh, Brian Everly. Brian, we're so glad you could join us here today. Hey, happy uh, Thursday. How's it going, buddy? It's uh, going well so far. Uh, We are looking forward to our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion. And, Brian, uh, I'm going to have you kind of start us off with the first Hot Topic. All right. Well, I think I think the first one's an easy one. I think we should probably talk about the 2024 schedules that were dropped yesterday. I'm sure you touched on them a little bit in the early part of this show, but obviously they weren't weren't out yet when you guys had Monday's hot topic. Okay, uh, Jay. I know we talked about this a little bit, but uh, what are your thoughts about this schedule? Well, I'm thinking Brian might not even feel good today, but he was going to make sure he was on today with us as he had to wait and talk about Road America last time. He wasn't missing this opportunity today. So glad to have you here, Brian. Um, yeah, there there's some things, as I mentioned earlier, uh, that I may not understand or even agree with, but I appreciate the fact of what NASCAR does to put together this schedule. I mean, all the, I can't even imagine all the different pieces. One of the things that that to me was a highlight, I know I talked with Mike about it, and we've seen it in the past uh, be different, but kind of thought Daytona had found its home as the final race um, of the regular season, the final cut race. And that will now go to Darlington, who comes out of the playoffs and move to Darlington. And we've seen Darlington be a cutoff race before. I don't think it provides that same wide open opportunity that Daytona did. But as talked about with uh, Sharon earlier in the show, three years seems to kind of be the slot. Um, It was great and worked for three years. If you keep it that way, it kind of becomes stale or can possibly. So if you mix it up. So that's kind of an interesting take for, for me. Um, the Iowa deal obviously was huge, and we listened to Ben Kennedy talk about that. We were looking forward to if it happened to be Montreal, looking forward to if it happened to be Iowa. Couldn't have them both. So got to take one or the other. It ends up to be Iowa. I'm excited about it. Unfortunately, Sharon, I know we kind of talked about it. I looked at the schedule. It is not in a window where I can attend it, uh, unfortunately. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I – I already looked at it. I was looking as to when I'll be traveling through there, but uh, just off by a little bit. But I am excited. Hopefully fans come out and support it, which I firmly believe they will. 
Ben Kennedy talked about again, meeting with the mayor and the camping and activities they have planned around that weekend um, going to be huge. So I think it'll be a big successful thing. We'll see how many years they get out of it. Um, but it's never been removed from an attendance or a spot on the schedule. It just wasn't utilized until now. And I, I think we're going to see more of that in the future. The, uh, the other one that really kind of caught me off guard, I think, as far as what we expected was the Charlotte Roval. That was the other one. We saw the Indianapolis road course. They're going to go back to the standard configuration of the Brickyard. Kind of thought the Charlotte Roval was going to as well, but that one's going to maintain its uh, road course and I believe cutoff spot as well, if I'm not mistaken, which that, again, was a, is a good setup, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I am super excited for uh, Iowa Speedway uh, to be back on the schedule, and uh, I am looking forward uh, to that race. I'm sure hoping that I can be there, uh, and Brian, I'm almost positive that you're going to plan to be there as well. Uh, and with that, I just want to encourage everybody to hop onto I-80 and uh, to get over to Iowa Speedway uh, for their weekend there. I believe the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series is going to be racing there. And uh, I think it's going to be a big weekend. The Arkham and Art Series is also going to be racing there. And uh, Iowa Speedway is such a great track. And as Jay kind of alluded to, they plan a lot of activities uh, for fans at that track. And it would be a shame for people to miss out on all of those activities. And uh, uh, as we've often said in the past, uh, being a NASCAR fan is not about one race. It's about a lifestyle. And uh, if you are a racing fan, uh, Iowa Speedway needs to be on your bucket. Uh, so I really uh, am super excited that they're back there. And I hope it does last for the three years that we kind of talked about for the window. Uh, I know NASCAR probably has a five-year window that they look at and a 10-year window that they look at. But uh, it seems like it is a three-year window uh, for some of their premier events, like the L.A. Coliseum, maybe the Chicago Street Race, uh, North Wilkesboro. And then they've talked about maybe rotating some of these races. And I'll say this. I trust Ben Kennedy. Whatever. <laughs> he has done so much for this sport with shaking up the schedule and bringing us things that we didn't think were possible and making them happen in a way. Last year, the Chicago Street Race was kind of plagued with weather, uh, but if they have good weather, I think that's going to be a huge, huge event. Uh, they brought a lot of money into the city of Chicago. I started to say state. Um, and I think uh, they're they're welcoming them back again for this season. And I think it would be great if they are able to get in a third season there for that Chicago Street race. It's not without um, uh, some troubles, but I will say NASCAR has addressed some of those issues uh, by saying that they're not going to take as long to set up, uh, which was one of the big detractions uh, for the locals. And uh, they won't have as much of a window 
uh, for interfering with the uh, traffic flow there. So I think that's all good. I um, uh, am also uh, excited for they've got two uh, super speedway type tracks in the playoffs this year uh with you've got uh, Talladega and Atlanta and that's where the playoffs begin is at Atlanta Motor Speedway then you've got that road course with Watkins Glen and actually there's going to be two road course type tracks with the Charlotte Roval which is an elimination race in that second round um so i think uh they've done a lot to kind of shake things up uh, they've done a lot to uh, really make it exciting for the race fans, and I said this earlier as well. Ben Kennedy is a fan of this sport. Uh, he's been a driver of the sport, so he knows it from a lot of different perspectives, and I think it shows in what he's done in shaking up the schedule. And um, uh, I know Chicagoland recently honored him as uh, their Chicago Land Hall of Fame recipient, and uh, I think that that's definitely uh, well deserved because he has he is a visionary who is able to get things done, and uh, I think he's done a great job. So I trust him. Whatever he does to the schedule, I'm just going to trust it. <laughs> Brian, what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah, very, very similar to to what both of you have said already. Absolutely love the fact that Iowa is on the Cup Series schedule. That track opened in 2006, and I think people have been hoping for a Cup date there ever since. Just a handful of years ago, I think we all kind of thought that track was basically going to be left for dead with pretty much nothing racing there. Now you've got an IndyCar weekend that's been there all the last two years with huge support from Hy-Vee. Now you're going to have a triple-header weekend with ARCA, Xfinity, and Cup. Um, you know, kind of, you both kind of made the point, but people have to show up now, right? Like we can't have a half-built mm-hmm. grandstand or some of the sad attendance numbers the Xfinity race has seen there over the last years that it was there. It's got to be packed. It's got to be a great event. Um, but I also think they will do a lot to make that a great event and, you know, build up around it um, as well to make it more than just a race. I'm super excited for it. I think that track always provides some great racing. The more it ages, you know, the more difficult it gets with the bumps and everything like that. So I think it's going to be a really, really great weekend. That's probably by far the thing I'm most excited about from the schedule for sure. Um, I also, um, some good news around the Chicago street course. I'm definitely glad that's coming back again. Obviously a little biased being from the Chicagoland area, but I, I think, you know, <laughs> that event had a lot of excitement around it. Really sucks that the rain ruined it like it did. Um, just talking to all the people, there are people there that were just jacked up for the concerts. People standing outside the track, there was kind of turn, I don't know, it was 11 or what, what turn it was. One of the corners, you could actually see into the track from the street. People out there all clamoring, trying to get video, trying to see it, talking about they want to get tickets next year. I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe the ticket price will come down a little, but that's probably a, a conversation for another day. Um, but super excited about that. I also like the fact that it, it's pushed back a weekend. It's not on 4th July weekend anymore, at least for me personally. Um, although on the flip side, I've heard some people from the city of Chicago that don't care about the race liked that it was 4th of July weekend because they typically leave the city that weekend anyway. So um, also good news, they're going to bring down the time frame to set up the track. You kind of expect that. Obviously, in the first year, you want to give yourself a ton of lead time. There's probably a lot of issues. I'm sure they learned a ton to, to make that a little bit quicker. It, it, obviously, they did have stuff shut down for 
for a, a pretty good amount of time, and I, and I can get people's frustrations if that's your every day and you don't care about NASCAR like we do. But definitely glad it's coming back and getting at least a second shot at it for sure. Um, I, I go back and forth on, on whether I like or dislike the fact that Tone is not the season finale. When it became the season finale, I didn't like it. Um, it's been really fun to watch the few years that it has been, and now it's a little bit disappointing, I guess, that it's going away. Um, but I do kind of like the, you know, like we haven't been talking about maybe these three-year type rotation deals kind of makes it exciting, makes it different. You know, it's not always Daytona. So I'm good with that. Um, you know, kudos to everyone involved in putting the schedule together. You guys kind of already touched on it, but I think Ben said in his press conference yesterday, it was like the 24th iteration of the schedule. I can only imagine what all goes into that with everyone involved and there's no way you're going to make everyone happy. Um, even we were, we were discussing, um, Last night here um, that the – what weekend is it? I think well, the trucks are coming back to Milwaukee. That's another thing I want to touch on, which I think is mm-hmm. is awesome. Potentially they weren't going to. Um, so glad that is, is happening. But, you know, someone made the point I'm up, up here in, in Wisconsin that, um, you know, the truck race and the IndyCar race weekends are like back-to-back. They're like, oh, couldn't they have made that better, right? And you, like, yeah, selfishly I'm like, yeah, from the Milwaukee area, two weekends back-to-back. But so many things that go into it different sanctioning bodies, it's probably near impossible to, to not have everything, like, you know, perfect, if you will. But super glad they're coming back. IndyCar will be there as well. So that'll be a nice um, couple weekends in Milwaukee at that track. Um, but, yeah, I think overall I'm pretty happy with it. You know, not a ton of change, but I don't think we are expecting a ton of change. And, you know, it kind of be just nice to see how some of these new and different things that they've done over the last few years just, just shake out in, the, in another season. Brian, you did such a great job for us, uh, the inaugural Chicago Street Race, uh, with the live blog that we did. And I'm hoping maybe you might consider doing that again sometime next season. Yeah, I think that would be great. Maybe with something we can try to do at even some other tracks as well, especially I think Iowa could be another great place, right, kind of what that experience is like for its first cup race. And, you know, I'm sure there will be a lot of people that will be going to Iowa for the first time. Obviously, you know, um, people that are out that way, you're not really maybe – maybe I'm misspeaking, but there's really not – you're from out in middle or western Iowa. There's really not anything out there that's that's close to you for a NASCAR Cup track. So I think um, that'll be great. I think you'll have a lot of new fans. Iowa has a pretty good, passionate sports fan base anyway to begin with. Um, I think a lot of it the last several years of Xfinity was just – frustration that everyone thought cup was coming and kind of the sentence dwindled off a little bit to probably some honestly pretty small crowds. I think the last couple of times that the trucks and Xfinity were there, but super excited to see that coming back um, with Xfinity and ARCA and it'll be a nice triple header weekend for sure. Okay. Jay, your follow up. Well, I was thinking about my comments about the Rovo. Um, it actually, the more I thought about it, makes sense since they added Watkins Glen. And, Sharon, you made me think of it when you said Atlanta Motor Speedway, which is now considered a super speedway style racing, being added. That means you have two super speedways, two road courses, and then your mixture of short tracks and mile and a half and others, making the playoffs a full um, level playing field, uh, if you will, of the variety of tracks. Uh, prior to this, we did we had the uh, Roval, one road course out of the 10, which is only 10%, um, and one super speedway. 
So I think they balance that really well. So I think that leaving the Roval the way it is makes sense when you when you talk about that. Is it hits all varieties tracks as equal as possible, and I think that's a huge thing when we talk about the competition of the NASCAR Cup Series elite top level and, and running on all these different courses. So I think that was a huge huge thing that I didn't realize uh, prior to this. It was as we were discussing it, but. So, again, trust trust in Ben Kennedy and the NASCAR team because, yeah, I think they're doing some great things. Yeah, and and I hear the point about Daytona. Uh, it's the season opener uh, for, for the points-paying uh, part of the season, and uh, it, it was the season uh, finale for the regular season before the playoff begins. But that it's still going to be exciting uh, as our season opener, as it always is. But it's the penultimate race before the Darlington season finale. So I still think that Daytona is going to play a big role as the regular season winds down with that wild card race just before Darlington. I think it's still going to be exciting. Um, I, I like the idea of it being the regular season opener and the regular season finale, but the fact that they've moved it now to the penultimate race before Darlington, which is the season finale, I think it's still going to play out well. Um, so even though the change, uh, I know, disappoints a lot of people, I think it's still going to be exciting to watch as a fan, and and so I'm okay with that. Phoenix is uh, going to be the championship race again this year. Uh, you know, when you think about the weather, we're getting into November. It makes sense for Phoenix uh, to be that championship race. Uh, I'm wondering, though, if NASCAR is looking at, uh, for the future, maybe rotating that around and maybe having a different venue for that championship race. Keeping in mind, though, that the weather really limits what the options are there. Um, so what I like about Phoenix is that it brings in our West Coast uh, contingent, if you will, and there's a lot of uh, exciting things there. Uh, I am also excited about bringing in the Mexico Series to the clash at the Coliseum. I think that's going to add a different dimension to that race, and it gives the Mexico Series kind of a uh, – uh, a stage, if you will, to kind of highlight wh- who those drivers are and what they accomplish. We've had Mexico Series drivers come into NASCAR uh, with Daniel Suarez and and Andres Perez de Lara in the Arca Menard Series. Uh, so I like that they're getting kind of a big stage, uh, if you will, with the clash at the LA Coliseum. Uh, Coda, let's see, I don't I always like the races at Coda. Uh, I want to go there sometime. Oh, Bristol. Bristol is now two concrete races, uh, no dirt race. Uh, and Ben Kennedy in his press conference uh, did mention that he's not uh, uh, not considering dirt. Uh, they still want to go to some dirt races, uh, and that's something that we might see uh, in the schedule at some point in the future. So just a, um, a note there in that regard. Um, 
that, I think, concludes all of my comments. They do have the Olympic break. Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to mention. The Olympics are taking place next weekend, so there is a break uh, for the Olympics, July 28th and for the August 4th dates. So no racing for those two weeks of the Olympics. Brian, what are, what's your follow-up? Um, yeah, I think uh, one was going to be kind of the Olympic break. I think um, that's great, I think, for drivers and teams and everyone in the industry that kind of gets, you know, burnt out throughout the season. I think it'd be tough to keep that, justify keeping that every year just because it's so hard to, to get all those races in in the Midwest and stuff where you've only got limited time where the weather's nice. But hopefully that's something they can kind of keep take a look at to, to make part of the season. I think, you know, F1 does a kind of a summer break, I believe, and, you know, other series, IndyCar just has less races on the schedule. But they've got some breaks in there as well. But it would be nice to maybe kind of see that stick around, um, at least for the people in the industry anyway. Um, I think the other thing that I find a little disappointing, but but I get it from a financial perspective, is there's really very, very few standalone races anymore when it comes to Xfinity and Truck. And I used to kind of really really love those and enjoy those, actually. Um, Trucks just has Milwaukee and IRP, and Xfinity just has Portland. So um, miss that a little bit. Get it from a financial for sure. But I'd say that was maybe a little bit of a bummer. Um, I'm happy that, you know, obviously it was announced before the schedule even came out, but I'm glad there's no more Bristol dirt. Um, I don't really care for Bristol dirt, never have, probably never will. Um, and then just from a, a Midwest selfish standpoint, uh, bummed to see trucks not go back to <laughs> mid-Ohio. I think that was always a, a good race as well. They're going to Martinsville instead. But um, other than that, I think, you know, perfectly happy with the schedule. Love Iowa, love the Chicago street courses coming back. Uh, a couple – Changes here and there, and I think I'm um, overall excited for, for what 2024 has in store. All right. We'll let that be the last word. Uh, Jay, what do you have for us for Hot Topics? Well, first off, I'm going to have to work on that. We're entitled to different opinions, but we separate as friends because Brian was bashing on the uh, dirt track at Bristol, but I'll see if I can work past that and we can still <laughs> separate as friends when we're done. <laughs> Um, speaking speaking of friends, I don't know if y'all hear him, but I hear Mike. I think he's in between Europe and uh, Chicago. I think is where he, where he was going. But we got Haley Deegan has signed a full time ride for the Xfinity <laughs> Series with M M Racing in 2024. All right, Brian, your thoughts. You mean he didn't want to call in from the plane to weigh in on this? Um, <laughs> oh, I imagine he wanted. I imagine he wanted to. <laughs> he definitely wanted to. <laughs> I, I mean, I saw that this morning. I just, I don't, I don't. When, when you're not making it at a lower level, I just don't understand why you're trying to move up as well as to be able to move up to basically a brand new team at the Xfinity Series level, essentially almost. But, you know, just a very young team. Um, and then on, those, on the flip side of that, too, it's like Brett Mabba doesn't have a ride next year with them, but only because he doesn't have sponsorship. So just unfortunate kind of where it's, you know, money comes out over talent. I think Deegan at least another year in the truck series, um, for sure, in my opinion. But we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, some, some drivers do adapt better to Xfinity cars over, over the trucks. Obviously, trucks are completely different when it comes to aerodynamics and handling. Um, but a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it is what it is, but, um, you know, I got a text from a couple people this morning right away that were already like, 
anti against it as well. So I think just um, is what it is. Money kind of wins out over talent, I think, still in NASCAR sometimes. And, you know, hopefully, um, you know, I think we've all been, at least all of us on this show, have been hoping that we'll find a, a female that can move up and, and be super successful. Um, I just don't know that moving up that quick um, is a way to go about it. I think she was the truck season too quick. I think she could have benefited from another year in ARCA as well. So, um, but we'll see. Uh, obviously, wish her luck, and we'll be watching next year. Yeah, I do tend to agree with you, uh, Brian, that she probably should have stayed in ARCA another season and maybe looked to see if she couldn't go after a championship or or have more success, at least in that series, um, before moving up to the truck series. However, uh, I kind of differ with you a little bit as far as her moving up to the Xfinity series. I think she's taken the truck series about as far as she can go with the truck series. I don't think it's really her forte if you will, uh, I think the Xfinity series is probably a little bit more her forte. Uh, that's yet to be seen. Uh, but I think her curve in the Xfinity series might be a little bit shorter than what she was given in the truck series. I think a lot of people are uh, growing a little bit weary, if you will, of Haley Deegan racing because she hasn't had the success that a lot of us were expecting from her. Um, And quite frankly, some of the success that she had uh, was a little bit questionable in the way that she went about it. So Haley Deegan needs some wins. She needs, uh, and and I don't mean wins meaning victory lane type wins. She needs some wins with having more success in the series that she's racing in. Um, Can she find it with AM Racing? I'm not sure yet, but I'm certainly willing to give her a chance in the Xfinity Series with AM Racing. But quite honestly, I think this is kind of her last chance, if you will. I think that uh, she's not going to be able to advance in the Cup Series. Um, And and I say that with some hesitancy, if you will. Uh, But I think it's going to be difficult for her to advance to the Cup Series unless she can be successful in the Xfinity Series. And that's because we didn't see that much success for her in the Truck Series. So I I think this this is an opportunity for Haley Deegan to show us what she can do uh, and that she can do it as a professional race car driver in the Xfinity series. Uh, and we've seen Brett Moffat have some success in, in this uh, Xfinity series in that car. So now Haley Deegan really needs to step up, if you will, and, and have some success in the Xfinity series. So, um, uh, you're right about the money. Uh, she brings dollars uh, with the sponsorships that she has with uh, Monster Energy and uh, other sponsors that she has on board. Uh, and they say that there will be announcements with, with that regard uh, in the coming weeks. I know Airbox is, is with her uh, at least uh, as a sponsor, and so we'll hear more about that as time goes on. But, um uh, yeah, I, I just think that Haley needs to step up now that she's in the Xfinity Series. This is more of her forte. We expect a lot more from her as she comes into the Xfinity Series. And uh, uh, Ford needs that success as well. So uh, let's see what she does. Jay? 
Well, I think you guys have kind of... Oh, I lost Mike's comments. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I was going to bring that up. There we go. You want me to say it? Well, and he... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, he just said, well, here's their big break. It's not J- Junior Motorsports or Joe Gibbs Racing Equipment, but all the apologists have said Xfinity is more suited for her. We'll see. But I lost faith in her a lot while ago. Again, comments from Mike Orzel. Well, and knowing, knowing him and having talked to him quite a bit, especially on this uh, topic, yeah, he kept it rather short and sweet. Uh, bit his tongue a little bit there, I get the feeling. But, you know, you both hit on it, and I don't disagree with that. But I do think she deserves the opportunity to show. Uh, I go back to what Sharon said. Having another year in the Arca Menard series, uh, in the stock cars uh, specifically, I think would have been better for her than moving to the trucks. But we've seen this in the past. You, you both hit it. And I know Mike and I go back and forth on it. I'm not disagreeing it or downplaying it that certain drivers advance based off of money. Um, and sponsorship, but I do look at the other, just the opportunity, and I know in the article here, it says, Deegan, uh, 22, competed in the Arkham Menard Series West in 2018 and 19, she earned three victories respectively, I believe in her Xfinity Series start, uh, made her debut in 2022. She piloted the 07 Ford Mustang for SS Greenlight Racing with uh, Jeff Lefcourt at Las Vegas. Again, not a top-tier team, but finished in 13th place after starting 20th. So that's something to look at, as well as what AMM Racing has been doing. They have been building. And I think you're going to see Ford put a little bit more behind this when it comes to Haley Deegan, and unfortunately that's what it takes sometimes, but I think you're going to see a little bit more support when it comes from Ford as a manufacturer, um, which which will obviously help. And again, maybe there's some work with Stuart Haas Racing as the other Ford team in the Xfinity Series, or one of the others um, in the Xfinity Series. And I go back to, I know it's a that rare spot, but there are drivers that have shown that one series may not be their, their forte, I think is the word Sharon was using, and fit their style, but they can be successful in others. Uh, we look at, and I'll just use Justin Algar, didn't necessarily, was a top NASCAR racer, and again, I know he wasn't with the top-tier teams, but found his niche, niche in the Xfinity series, and that happens. Uh, I think back through history, Mike McLaughlin, uh, was a great Xfinity Series driver. Uh, never really advanced to the Cup Series. I don't even know if he had what starts he had, but was very solid in the Xfinity Series, and that's okay. We see it in the Truck Series. Matt Crafton, I know he's had some starts in other series and done okay with them, but is absolutely dominant in a, one of the um, top when it comes to the Truck Series. That's great. It needs that. So we'll see how it goes. I'm happy she's gotten the opportunity, and I do think this is good for the Xfinity Series with Ford of building AMM, AM racing. Okay, Brian, your follow-up. Yeah, I think my, my final thought, and I, I thought this one, when Deegan originally made the move from Toyota to Ford, is she would have better served and spend some more time in the Toyota development program. It just seems like they have such a better 
program built for development. Half the drivers that move up in other manufacturers typically were in the Toyota program for some sort of a period of time, um, at least over these last several years. So I kind of think that's where I would have went differently um, if I were her. But, again, I think, you know, we'll see. Like you said, everyone gets a chance, give it a couple of seasons, and we'll evaluate from there, I think. Again, I don't think I don't think you should be overly harsh on it in year one either, just like when a new driver makes it to the Cup Series. It, it's going to take more than a year to adjust for sure. So give it a couple of years and, and, and see where we're at. Okay. I I think her car number is going to be the number 15. Is that right? I believe so. Uh, okay, yeah, I was going to say I was looking for that as well. Um, yeah, I know Brett Moffat drove the number 25, so I'm wondering uh, if they're going to bring Brett Moffat back um, for next season. He's 15th in the series point standings right now. He did not make it into the playoffs. I think we did kind of hope that maybe he would make it into the playoffs this season, uh, but he didn't. So I think that's something for folks to kind of keep in mind when they evaluate what Haley Deegan's doing in the Xfinity Series with the same team. Uh, so we'll see. The team is is progressing. Um, they're a new team. And uh, I think they've done well. Uh, and I think that, uh, again, we'll have to see what they do next year. You bring up a good point about Ford uh, being part of uh, this organization and Ford kind of getting behind Haley Deegan. Uh, I think that that could elevate the team as well. So, I, I uh, again, I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens uh, next season uh, for Haley Deegan in the Xfinity Series. Jay, your final thoughts there. Well, I was hoping to provide some clarification, but the, and this is what threw me. At the very bottom of the article where it says additional details on Deegan's uh, Xfinity program with AM, AM Racing uh, will be announced in due course. The line below that says the team has named Brett Moffitt and Christian Rose as their primary drivers for the 2023 Xfinity and Arca Menard Series seasons. Is that supposed to say 2024? Because I believe that Brett Moffitt should be returning in the number 25, Haley Deegan being added, and then Christian Rose as their Arca Menard Series program. But I'm not 100% sure on that. But I believe it sounded like Brett Moffitt was coming back as well which I think is another huge factor of having uh, a veteran. I know she did there in the truck series and some things happened there. I'm not going to go into with the crew chief swap there, but having a driver like Brett Moffitt that can coach her as a teammate, one-on-one teammate, um, not necessarily a powerhouse of four teams. It's just the two and they're building together. We've seen that work when it comes yeah. to RFK racing, Penske racing, when they drop down to, to two teams, you know, we've seen that work. To at least in the building stage of a program. Um, so I think that would be great if they had Brett Moffat paired with her um, when it comes to that. I know you talked about the uh, Toyota development program, and that was one of those where it did seem kind of odd at the time, but also we've seen that of Toyota has very select about they have a lot in the pipeline, but very select about who they're going to back all the way up into the Cup Series and stand behind. Um, they're very select when it comes to that, and obviously, as we've seen with a, with a couple drivers, do whatever it takes to uh, get them there. 
um, Haley Deegan apparently just wasn't one of them. Yeah, um, all good points. Uh, Brian, you get to uh, pick the next hot topic. All right, I think we kind of talked cup with schedule. We talked Xfinity with Deegan. I think let's go trucks and talk to Crafton Sanchez fight and the um, ensuing penalties that came out this week. All right, Jay, your thoughts about the penalties. <clears throat> well, and we got to talk about this on Monday night, Brian, as far as it happening and what we expected. Uh, this falls in line with what I think was an appropriate uh, reaction and sanctioning by NASCAR. Um, not getting involved in any driver suspensions. Actually, the suspension came from uh, Nick Sanchez's uh, dad of being suspended for the next two races from, I guess, the, what they call the hard card areas uh, of the next two events. But I think the fines were appropriate and the message sent um, from Craftsman's side of, again, it was not in the heat of the moment. There's, I think they said it was about an hour from when he was knocked out of the race, parked his truck, and waited to confront him. So it's no longer in the heat of the moment type reaction, I think was a big factor. Second off, the, some of the things Nick Sanchez said in retaliation or in response, even though in the heat of the moment, they need to make sure they keep an eye on because they don't want to see this continue onto the track or become an issue for the sport. Uh, you know, whether they're friends or not and work things out, that's on them, but don't let it affect the sport as a whole. So Nick Sanchez also fined $5,000 um, as well. And I think those are both appropriate. Obviously, I'm sure some discussions one-on-one, -on -one, maybe even together, have or will take place, which I think is important. But the message got sent. I, I really don't think any actual suspension from racing was necessary at this point. As I said on Monday, we've seen it in the past, uh, multiple, many different fights and interactions between drivers and the suspension for that alone has not taken place. So um, I think this was appropriate. Okay. Yeah. I think what they did was, was very much appropriate. Matt Crafton was knocked out of the playoffs in the last round. Uh, so he's no longer playoff uh contingent. Nick Sanchez, of course, is playoff uh, eligible and actually sits above the cut line right now by, uh, I believe, 30 points. If I'm, No, he's behind the leader by 30 points. So he's uh, above the cut line by three points. Um, so this was, this was one of those heat of the moment things in one respect. Uh, but the reason that Matt Crafton and you outlined it, Jay, got the bigger uh, fine is because it was a pre he had time to cool off and didn't. Uh, he sat in wait, uh, and and uh, there were punches thrown between him and Nick Sanchez, uh, and I think more on the part of uh, Matt Crafton in this case, uh, and and that's why he was fined more. Uh, he had time to react differently, and he chose uh, – uh, uh, he made a bad decision. Uh, parking in the pit stop, or the uh, Nick Sanchez's uh, pit stall, uh, 
and then walking off, changing his clothes, <laughs> thinking about it, he still attacked Nick Sanchez. So um, Nick Sanchez, on the other hand, and we talked about this on Monday night's show, show he made some uh, remarks, threatening remarks that he should not have made. And I think it was appropriate that he was also fined, not as much, but he was fined. Uh, I don't think he was the one who, uh, well, it depends on your perspective, of course, but I don't think he was the one who initiated the throwing of punches. Uh, and I think that's why, that's another reason why he should not have been fined uh, as much as Matt Crafton. Um so I think NASCAR did the right thing here. I don't think suspensions were necessary. If there's a re- repeat of those kinds of actions and those kind of threatening comments, uh, then I think the penalty should be escalated. Uh, but as long as this is the first time that we've had this happen uh, between these two drivers, I think that NASCAR did the right thing. Um, and I think that Elton Sawyer did say that he intends uh, to have that conversation with those two drivers and bringing them together and making sure that they clear the air uh, before the race that comes up at Homestead, Miami, uh, which is an elimination race. So that air needs to be cleared. We don't want to repeat between these two drivers. Uh, I'm sure Matt Crafton is disappointed that he's not in the playoffs. Uh, and I'm sure that he's uh, he has certain frustrations with that. But he's an adult man, and he needs to find a different way uh, to kind of deal with those frustrations. Um, so we'll see what happens. I know adult men, uh, sometimes things, he's in the moment, things get carried away. But he had time to think about this one, and he still chose differently. So, Brian, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, I have several, I guess several thoughts. I think the one thing that definitely was obviously the video was what was widely circulated, right, and everyone saw, and that was kind of after the incident pretty much happened between Crafton and Sanchez. Um, Crafton mm-hmm. tweeted, you know, subsequently that it was not a sucker punch like they were saying. He went over there to have words with him. Sanchez threatened him, and he threw the punch or punches. Um, and Crafton claims there were several witnesses around that saw that, Obviously, none of us were there. There's no video. Who's to really say what went down? And in the heat of the moment, I think memories are a little bit lax as well um, when that comes to that. But if that is the case and that's how it went down, you know, I think maybe Sanchez deserved to get popped in the face. Who knows? But I think what just doesn't sit right with me, right, is we suspend Gregson and send him to sensitivity training over the liking of a tweet. And, and, again, by no means do I think Chance Sanchez meant that he was going to go kill Crafton, okay? Let's be reasonable. Those are heat-of-the-moment mm-hmm. comments. But if he's going to come out there and throw out comments like that in the heat-of-the-moment, find 5K, that just seems a little bit a little bit weak to me um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but it is what it is, I guess. I just – I don't know. Sometimes I shake my head at, at the penalties and, and the way that they go down and how it just seems vastly different depending on – depending on, I don't know, a variety of different things. So that doesn't necessarily sit right with me, obviously, by no means, but I think Sanchez meant that. But in the heat of the moment, if you're going to throw those things out, maybe you should be subjected to some sort of sensitivity or anger management training, just like they made Gregson go through for simply, you know, liking a tweet that was offensive. So I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but yeah, it would have been great to have a video of the whole thing and how it went down with Crafton because it does seem kind of like a he said, she said sort of situation. Um 
at least from what's been been publicly put out there. Um, but I, I, yeah, and I, I definitely don't agree with Sanchez's dad getting involved. I mean, everyone wants to protect their kid, sure, but like you mentioned, Sharon, he's a grown adult. He's out there racing with a bunch of other grown adults. Um, if you're going to take actions on the track, you deserve to have to face up to those and have those conversations afterwards. Um, obviously, don't like to see it result in, in swings. Like to see drivers be able to talk it out, get an understanding, but it is what happened. Um, I, I do agree. I don't know if suspensions were necessarily um, necessary in this situation, but um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my thoughts. Okay, Jay? Well, I will go back to this, and there is one where I do agree with Mike. I mean, there's a huge difference. Uh, and again, as you both pointed out, we don't really know the the footage doesn't really confirm either side story, but we've seen it in the past. When both drivers come at together, uh, you can tell if they're both willing and wanting to fight. Uh, you know, I go back to the hockey deal. You both throw your gloves down. They say, okay, you both want to be involved in it. Have at it. You're done. We'll finish it up or whatever when necessary. Um, in, in this case, I don't think it was. And, and I think back to the Myatt Schneider, Austin Hill, you know, um, from what we could see on that video, it was all just talk uh, from my side. What was said, and if Austin Hill warned him or not, but all of a sudden you see that arm fly, and yeah, we, we joked about it, but Maya Wyatt didn't even know he was, or Maya Snyder didn't even know he was in a fight until he hit the ground uh, type deal. So there, there is a difference there. If both drivers, and we saw this with, I think, back to Ross Chastain and Noah Gregson, um, you know, the way Gregson came at, Chastain, Chastain prepared for it. Yeah, he threw the first punch to be ahead of it, but they were both prepared and ready to go at it if that's what it came to. I don't feel that was the case here. Um, so that's where I think the big difference uh, comes in. Uh, and I think to the Bubba Wallace, Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson obviously wanted no part of that situation when it came to that. So I think that's a, a big difference in the amount on the fines too. I will agree with Brian. Had there been some anger management uh, class or something to that effect attached to Nick Sanchez's side of it, um, or maybe even Matt Crafton for that matter, just the fact that well, he couldn't cool down after an hour, um, that that could have been included. Um, I wouldn't have been opposed to that either. Uh, I think we could all tend to take more of those classes and learn from that uh, without a doubt. So, that that might be something they look at or maybe even add on or suggest in the meeting, as you said, that Elton Sawyer intends to have, which I do think does need to take place if it hasn't already, that along with this is a conversation, not just the fine and the message uh, from that aspect, but the conversation, whether or not they can have it with the two of them together in the same room, uh, hopefully that after a week or two, we can all be adults or they can all be adults and sit down and talk about it. Um, and if nothing else, agree, again, agree to disagree and walk out in separate doors in separate directions, but not let it escalate to the point of having the situation we had. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Brian, that maybe anger management uh, participation could have been a part of this. Um, and I would fully expect it to be a part of it should it happen again. Uh, hopefully we're seeing the last of it. And uh, we won't have to see that. But there were definite anger issues on both sides of this equation. Uh, I, I don't condone either's uh, behavior in this situation. I don't 
condone uh, Matt DiBenedetto, uh, uh, you know, uh, throwing punches uh, at uh, Nick Sanchez. Uh, but I don't condone Nick Sanchez for what he said either. Uh, I, I think that uh, both of them had some anger management issues and uh, would both benefit from going to anger management uh, classes. So um, I, uh, I definitely agree with that part of it here. Uh, I, I do think both parties were at fault here. So we'll kind of take it from there. Brian, you get the last word on this one. Yeah, I think Jay's point was kind of made best with, you know, both guys being, like, ready to fight, you know, like in a hockey fight or, you know, where you yeah. can tell both guys are like, we're, we're going we're gonna to throw swings. If it was truly that was the case, I'm more okay with the fight ensuing. But if it was, like, Sanchez tells it where, you know, Grafton walked up and just cold cocked him, that's how I feel about when drivers go at a driver that are still strapped in the car with a helmet on. It's like, let the guy get out, have a face-to-face conversation and see what happens. Like, I just and that, and ever, that, that ever sits well with me. And so, again, we don't really know exactly what happened. Two sides, truth is probably somewhere in the middle. So, yeah, nothing really else to add other than that. Okay. Uh, we got a few minutes here, Jay. Do you have a quick one for us? You know, I was looking. I don't even know. Uh, you mentioned um, Ben Kenny being inducted to the Hall of Fame, I think, uh, for uh, Chicagoland Sports Hall of Fame. I don't see any other on our list, and I would have to agree that he definitely deserves that. Right now, I think he's looking at the NASCAR Hall of Fame just of what he's done for the sport in NASCAR <laughs> as a whole. Okay. Uh, Brian, any comments about Ben Kennedy being inducted into the Chicago Land Sports Hall of Fame? Yeah, I think obviously really cool being from a Chicago Land aspect. Um, I think he has done some really great things when you look at all these all these schedule changes, all the different things that have happened in the sport over the past, you know, handful of years. Um, and he seems very cool, rational, down-to-earth guy. Um, yeah, super super happy with kind of what he's done and the direction he's taken and just how he addresses, you know, the media and stuff and press conferences and stuff always, you know, always says, I feel like, a pretty detailed answer, pretty transparent answers, transparent as they can be anyway. And I've uh, really always liked and respected him, um, even from the days when he was – a driver and I interviewed him back then and mm-hmm. he was running the truck series. So I think um always yeah, liked and respected him and I think uh well deserved honor. Yeah, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Ben Kennedy as I said earlier. And um I I I agree my uh Je- Brian, I'll get the name right here. Uh <laughs> I agree, Brian, that I've liked him, you know, even going back to the days that he was driving um, and I like that he has been a driver. He's, <laughs> he's worked his way up the ladder, if you will, within NASCAR. And I think he's also a fan. I think he brings a lot of different perspectives to his role. And um, uh, I agree that not only should he be inducted into the Chicagoland Sports Hall of Fame, I, I think he is uh, certainly um, uh, eligible uh, as he closes down his career, which is hopefully not for many years to come yet, uh, that he will ultimately be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame as well for everything that he's done. Um, but getting to the Chicagoland, uh, you know, all of the officials there say that he was, <clears throat> excuse me, Ben was instrumental in bringing the NASCAR Chicago Street Life 
street race to life. And, uh, you know, I think that that was a monumental task uh, when you think about it, because you had people like me that were very skeptical of how this thing would be pulled off and if it could be pulled off. Uh, And I lived in Chicago for 40 years, so uh, I've got a pretty good feel for, for uh, what some of the people, Native Chicago people, might be thinking as well. But he was able to pull that off. He does listen, and that's why they're making changes to it this year and shortening and and just shortening the that it takes um, uh, to set up for that road course. Uh, and just, you know, it, it says something about who Ben Kennedy is. Uh, he is willing to sit down and listen and find common ground uh, and and to make things work. And uh, it's not just a, a ramrod, this is what we're going to do. He, he does take time to listen, and I, I really like that about him. Uh, and I think that's why he's able to get a lot of things done. People trust him. And uh, I think that bodes well for this sport for many, many years to come. So well-deserved for the Chicagoland Hall of Fame, and uh, I can't wait to see what he does next. Jay? Well, I was going to say you kind of stole my thunder, but that would have been me stealing yours because I think you said it first. He's a fan, uh, which, I mean, we all, anybody involved in the sport is to some level, but he truly is a race fan. Second, he was a driver. Um, so when you talk about things of making the standalone events and, and the cost and the impact it has on drivers and a team from that aspect, as well as then working his way through the business side of it um, and coming up through that, not just being put in a spot because of his name, or his relationship, he worked his way through different stages of that in leadership to get to this point. And I think he finds a great balance with that. He doesn't just react out of one aspect of it. You know, I'm a driver, I want this. Or I'm a fan, I want this. I'm a businessman, I want this. He finds that balance and makes it work to the best possible solution for all parties involved. Um, So I think that is a huge point you make, Sharon, with that of all three of those aspects coming together under one leadership format um, and the ability of thinking outside the box, you know, okay, this hasn't been done or it can't be done. Well, we've seen it happen and, and make it happen. The return of North Wilkesboro, the dirt racer, Chicago, the street race, the Coliseum. I mean, all of those, I think he was very instrumental in maybe not being the one to really push it, but open that door to the possibility. Like you said, sit down and listen and maybe not be the one to do it, but say, hey, if you can bring me the idea, how it's going to make it work, the, you know, the logistics of it, the process, the benefit of it, we'll make it happen. We'll support you as you do it, or we'll make it happen on our own. And, and that's huge. Okay, Brian, your follow-up? No, I think uh, really you guys said it best. I don't really have anything else to add. I think, um, you know, really provided a lot to the sport and uh, hope he's around for years to come to, to continue continue the progress. Yeah, the only thing I'm going to add is I think Ben Kennedy has earned all of our respect um, by his actions and what we've seen him do. So that's all I want to add. <laughs> Jay? Yeah, no, I, I'd have to agree with that. I can't add much more to that. And, you know, again, I look at it to the possibility of the future. Uh, you know, we talked about – 
even just the overseas, I know we initially talked about north of the border, south of the border. There has been some discussion of overseas, which we have seen in the past, um, but possibly bringing that back. And, and like I said, just the open vision of what can be done, what can we do differently outside of the box, that is still beneficial to the sport and taking it to another level. Okay. We'll let that be the end. And, uh, Brian, why don't you start us off on our roundtable here as we sign off? Yes. So uh, best way to follow, uh, beeberly18 on Twitter. I'm pretty excited about this weekend. Right now I'm in West Salem, Wisconsin, uh, ready to just play race sand all weekend at the Oktoberfest race weekend at Lacrosse Speedway. So pretty excited about that. And then I wanted to come to for several years. Some Several people have told me how great it is all around and, I uh, got here yesterday, a chance to go over and check out the track last night for a little bit of practice. I think it's 17 different divisions over the four days, um, capped off with the ARCA Midwest Tour 200 lap around Sunday. Um, so I think it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, great fall weather with temps in the 50s. Um, super excited about it. Uh, it should be a lot of fun, and I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, Jay. Uh, you can follow me, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Instagram, and formerly known as Twitter, now X. I notice that's the new saying. You've you got to add in the formerly known as um, with that, but it's one of those works in progress. Um, this weekend, actually Saturday, I'm going to be headed back up to Tennessee. Again, i got the opportunity to work with the motocross here for a couple more races as they wrap up their season and uh, MC their championship program here coming up in a couple of weeks so excited about that and unfortunately that means the racing i'll be listening to we talked about flow racing covering it on, on tv i appreciate sirius xm and the coverage they do mrn and prn so that those of us yeah. that are in the vehicle can listen to it on the radio <laughs> absolutely and twitter will always be twitter to me <laughs> I I'm, I don't know if I that's a change I can make or not. It's, it's been Twitter forever, and that's what I call it, Twitter. Um, I am Fan for Racing Site on Twitter, <laughs> and Fan for Racing Blog and Radio on Facebook, as well as uh, our website, fanforracing.com. And uh, I too am looking forward to the races this weekend uh, at. Uh, the Charlotte Roval, two elimination races. Uh, it doesn't get much better than that. And uh, I, I uh, can't wait to see how it all plays out. Also, I'm preparing uh, to go on a road trip with my brother out to Las Vegas Motor Speedway uh, for the races out there. And uh, looking forward to that as well. I'll be watching the Arca, the Arca West Series race at the Bull Ring as we did last year. Uh, that was pretty exciting. And uh, chipped one off of the uh, uh, bucket list, if you will, there last year. But we're returning again this year. So uh, pretty excited about it. Um, I'll try to post some things uh, about it, if not on the blog. Uh, then uh, maybe on social media. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But definitely looking forward to uh, the racing out at Las Vegas as well. And um, uh, I want to make sure that we take time to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. We always appreciate that. We had a fan as well as a sponsor, if you will, 
for um, Destined for Destruction. Uh, Daryl Abbott was on our show Monday night, and I neglected to kind of feature him as I closed out on Monday, so I'll do that now. If you haven't uh, listened to that, uh, you'll want to go back and take a listen. He He's a big race fan, and he's found himself in the position by owning his own business to support short track racing in the uh, West Coast area uh, by helping to support drivers, whether it's being there um, to help support them with driving a truck or or whatever. Uh, He's also offered some financial support uh, for several drivers, and uh, it was really great talking with him. Uh, Also, uh, we didn't have enough time with him, so we're going to have him back on the show so we can kind of continue the conversation, if you will, at some point in the future. Um, I know a snowball derby is a big deal for him, and one thing I forgot to bring up in short tracks, uh, I believe Bubba Wallace is looking to uh, go to the Snowball Derby this year. So that's going to be interesting. Um, so anyway, we're all looking forward to uh, the racing this weekend. We'll look forward to talking to you guys again on the other side. Uh, a shout-out also to uh, uh, Jay Huseman, uh, the co-host for today, and Brian Everly, uh, our Hot Topic Sound Off guy, uh, for today's show, and uh, always a lot of fun uh, doing any show with you guys, and I can't wait to do it again next week. So with that, we'll call it a wrap, guys. Well, Sharon, Sharon one last thing. I know from my experience, road trips can have their stories. Yours from last year going to Las Vegas, I think, is one of the top of all time of anybody I've heard. So can't wait to possibly hear about new ones when it comes to that. Yeah, I don't know if you heard that story, Brian. Did you hear that story? I have not, no. My brother and I were traveling along uh, the highway in Utah, and I noticed behind me there were uh, police lights, and they were coming at a pretty good clip of speed, so I was going to pull over, but I couldn't pull over because uh, there were like four or five police cars on the side of the road, And there was no place for me to go, so I just kind of had to hang on. And I noticed that there was something running across the highway in front of me, and I said, what's that? And it turned out it was a nail spike. Apparently, the guys that were behind us, the guy that was uh, in front of the police car, had a car very similar to ours, and uh, he, he had stolen that car, and the police were in a police chase. So they had put wow. out the nail strip. They put out the nail strip for him, and instead they caught us. And so <laughs> we ended up with a flat tire and a two-hour delay on our trip because the police went and bought a new tire and changed it for us and everything else. Fortunately, it was oh, just okay. one tire. <laughs> it was just one tire that went flat. Um, but we went directly from. I had hope to stop at the hotel and check in and maybe shower up before I went to the racetrack. And, but instead uh, we went straight to the racetrack. So I met Sal though, which was kind of a good part of the story uh, because I've known Sal for a good 20 plus years and never met him. So that was kind of, Oh wow. I didn't know it was that long. Okay. Very cool. Good times. Well, hopefully it's a little bit less, a little less, maybe a little more anticlimactic. Um, 
not as much entertainment on the drive out, but hopefully a lot of entertainment once you're there. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was pretty interesting. Um, so with that, we'll call it a wrap, guys. <laughs> All right, have a good one, everybody. Thanks again. But enjoy the weekend. Good night, everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.